You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, welcome, bonjour, uh, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> this is a bilingual episode of the Oz Network, as we're here to start the beginning of a very exciting month uh, for anybody from Canada and Australia. And uh, we're going to encourage people to watch along if you're not from Canada and Australia, because uh, you're going to get exposed to some great movies here as we're doing the first ever Canada-Australia Month, something that we've talked about for a couple of years now, I think, and uh, the format's going to be basically alternating. I will pick a Canadian film to show Ben, and then he will pick an Australian film to show me, and then we'll repeat the process over the next two weeks, covering the best of Canadian and Australian cinema. My name is Colin, and I see subtitles under people's heads when they speak. And my name is Ben, and shit the mad, the mad, the shit, the shit, the tabernacle. <laughs> uh, this is the obvious choice that I had to make for Canada, for Canada-Australia Month, um, because it is the single highest grossing Canadian film of all time. Um, I had mentioned at the end of our last episode that we did that in the Oscars coverage that it was the highest grossing Canadian film in Canada, and he kind of laughed at that, but... It kind of does need to be said with a disclaimer because, um, you know, there are at least one, maybe two Canadian films that have made more money outside of Canada prior to Bon Cop, Bad Cop. Um, I should probably say that's what we're covering. It's called Bon Cop, Bad Cop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Okay, sorry. I, I watched Men with Brooms. <laughs> um, prior to this movie, there was a movie called Porky's that came out in the early 80s, which was sort of like the beginning of the 80s r-rated sex comedies and it was a canadian movie that not only was like the highest grossing movie ever in canada but it made like a hundred million dollars around the world like it was absolutely massive and bond cop bought bad cop went on to outgross porkies in canada but only really made its money in fact i don't even think it was ever released outside of canada uh so you know here in canada this is the highest grossing film of all time whereas outside of canada there are canadian movies that have made more money but I feel like this movie, it, it totally sums up everything that's great about Canada, um, and it's totally different from what you expect from a Canadian movie. I, I feel like when we start this month, we, we kind of have to put into context, you know, we're going to be picking movies that most people, in fact, a lot of people even maybe within Canada, and when we do the Australian ones, some people in Australia may not have even been familiar with, because the film industries, I don't know if it's the same over there, but like here in Canada, it's much smaller. I mean, we get when you hear what movie was number one at the box office on any given weekend, that is the box office gross of the United States and Canada combined because every American movie gets released here at the exact same time. So the majority of movies that play in any Canadian theater are American movies. And you might have like one Canadian movie playing, but when you consider the difference in the population, Canada has about one-tenth of the population in the United States. We can't really make a $100 million movie here because it would have to you know, make 10 times that, that amount in order to make it. So if the Avengers Endgame you know, were to make, what would that make, a billion dollars or something like that? Imagine the Avenger, Avengers Endgame having to make $10 billion. <laughs> and that's what it would take to actually recover the, the cost of a movie. So Canadian movies tend to be much smaller budgeted. And I would say, especially lately, they, they go more for prestige. It's, it's, we've had a couple of Canadian movies that have gotten Oscar nominations. Um, I think 1997, the first ever Canadian director got nominated for Best Director. 
uh, Adam Agoyan, who's like our you know most famous, I guess, respected director, got nominated for Best Director for uh, a movie called The Sweet Hereafter. And that was the year of Titanic and L.A. Confidential and Goodwill Hunting and everything. So that was considered a big deal. Uh, and then I think it was like in 2003, Canada won the first ever foreign language film for a movie called The Barbarian Invasions. And we were nominated again a couple of years ago for a movie called Incendies. Uh, there was a, a director named Denny Villeneuve who's now gone on to become a big deal now that he's making movies in America with Sicario and Blade Runner and everything. Uh, but Canadian movies are quite small. And I think even Canadians take a lot of shots of them. And here they did something very experimental, which was – we're going to make a bilingual movie. This movie will play not only well in Quebec, because Quebec is, the, the language is French, the primary language is French, and then the rest of Canada, the primary language is English. So we're going to make a movie that is half in French and half in English. But it's not what you expect where it's like, when they're in Quebec, they're speaking all French. When they're in you know, Ontario, they're speaking all English. It's actually bilingual. So the way that any bilingual Canadian will speak, you'll hear people in Canada, no matter where you are, who will speak a sentence in French, and then their next sentence will be in English. And that's just the way people talk. And that's kind of the way this movie is. So it, it opened up a great opportunity for a movie to actually play well in all parts of the country here. And I mean, it totally paid off because highest grossing Canadian film of all time. Uh, but I saw this, uh, I know when it was out uh, in 2006, I think it came out. Uh, it was just one of these things that I saw. I wasn't hearing a lot of buzz about it, but I just saw, saw it was playing every single week. And I'm like, oh, this movie must be a big deal. A Canadian movie that's playing for more than a week in a theater. <laughs> and then I started to see like, oh, this thing has made, you know, $10 million or whatever, which is the equivalent of $100 million and so on and so on. So once it actually came out and it was, uh, you know, on our movie channels here, I had to watch it right away. And it's just a great movie because it's it's your traditional buddy cop film, but a little bit grittier, a little bit less on the action, a little bit more on the drama, but still a lot of comedy in there. And I mean, this came became like a huge phenomenon here in Canada, and it took them 10 years, but they eventually made a sequel to it. But uh, I was really excited, you know, when you started dating a Canadian, because <laughs> one of the first things she did was show you Bon Cop, Bad Cop. So you've actually seen this movie. What, do you remember what your impressions were when you first saw it? Or had you ever even seen a Canadian movie prior to this? Um, Dudley Do-Right? Is that Canadian? <laughs> Is that, no. <laughs> Canadian bacon? That's not Canadian. Um, I don't no. think. I don't think I had. Oh, actually, no. Tell a lie. Um, there, oh, I think you and I talked about this once. It was called like Sweet Light Chocolate or something like that. Um, it had sweet chocolate. Uh, oh, we, we've definitely talked about this before. I'm pretty sure it's got Wendy Crewson in it. Um, Basically, we, I've, yeah, I've definitely told the story before about how in Australia growing up, there was a channel called SBS. It was kind of like the, you know, the foreign language channel, you know, a lot of the multi, the multicultural channel. And a thing for like a teenage boy growing up was on a Friday or Saturday night at like 10 o'clock, they would have all the dirty foreign movies on. Um, so that's how we watch porn as kids, uh, basically. Um, and then one time there was, it was, there was like, it was about lesbians in Montreal or something like that. Um, you definitely, <laughs> of course you watch we it. have definitely talked about this before. Uh, we've, we've had this exact moment where we've both gone, oh, what's that called? And then we've found it and we've both gone, oh yeah, that movie. Um, so that's maybe the only Canadian movie I had seen going into this, but, I'm going to find the name of this goddamn movie now. It's annoying me. <laughs> it was something better, better, better than chocolate. Better than chocolate. That's what it's called. Oh, what? yeah, I've heard of it. You, I've never seen it. I but thought yeah, you at least it. maybe have seen it. But um, it's a Canadian romantic movie in Vancouver. Um, I think she's a lesbian and then she starts having sex with a man, maybe. Um, or I don't know. There's something about sex in it. 
Um, there, wasn't there another one recently where there was a, like a, a woman, like she needed to have a baby, so she started having sex with like a gay man or something like that, and they fell in love. And then we we talked about that. Whatever. Canadian <laughs> movies are great. There's lots of sex in them. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> back, to, back to Bond. This is what happens when you make Ben Waterworth watch a movie with subtitles and in French, all right? Like, my mind gets incredibly <laughs> warped. I enjoyed this movie when I first saw it with Mallory, and I enjoyed this movie watching it again. I think, to me, this is is very much just like a... It's almost just like a TV episode, like the way it's edited and the story. It's just... It's almost like a double episode. I feel like this should be a TV show, if anything, more so than a movie, but mm. I... I get everything you were saying about the Canadian film industry and the movies and the budget and everything because it's basically exactly the same as as the Australian cinema landscape. And again, we'll talk a little bit more when we get to our first Australian film, but Australian movies aren't really something that Australians go and see. They're they're more kind of the art house movies that get sent to the little art house cinema up the street rather than the the main one. Like It's very rare that we will get a big release movie in Australia that everybody goes see. Like I would have seen... Last decade, I can think of the one movie that I went and saw was uh, Swinging Safari, which I'd nearly put on the list for this year. If we do it again next year, you because I think you want to see that. It's got Guy Pearce, Julian McMahon, all that sort of stuff. I think that's maybe the one Australian movie I saw in the cinemas last decade, um, which goes to show that, you know, not many people go to see Australian movies unless you're a bit more fancier than Ben Waterworth. So um, that's, that's a lie. I went and saw Tomorrow When the War Began. That was a good movie. But anyway, the point is... Very similar industries, it seems. So it's um it's unique because this this movie is it's entertaining. I I could I can see why this a lot of people went and saw it. I see why mainly a lot of Quebecers probably went and saw this. But um I think it's I think it's well balanced. It's well you know it's got jokes on both sides. And I think kind of it as a non Canadian, as a soon to be Canadian in the next five years, uh, it appeals to all Canadians. I feel. Yeah, especially because the plot deals with hockey so much too. Which well, uh, I mean, it's gonna yes. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we when we get to that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have some interesting comparisons to how Americans deal with the same subject matter and how much more seriously Canadians seem to take their sports, uh, because this movie is gritty. I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's like, you know, super gritty. This isn't, I don't know, like like Nightcrawler or something like that. But I, I would compare it more to the original Lethal Weapon movie. Uh, maybe even a little bit like the the first or the third Bad Boys movie. I mean, it's not a buddy cop film, as in it's just nonstop jokes and uh, <laughs> you know the jokes that are there are very clever, and there are some very over the top comedic moments. But you know, this is probably not like a buddy cop film that you expect. Um, I don't know, like starring Robin Williams and uh, <laughs> Jim Carrey or something. It's oh. not that. Wow. Sorry, that would be... <laughs> Whoa, we missed Bond out on cop, that. Cop 3. <laughs> oh, come on, Robin Williams. Why'd you have to die? That would be the greatest movie ever. But um, I, I think it is really important to start it off, especially... I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get Canadians who listen to this. We're going to get Australians who listen to this. We're going to get people from other countries who are like, well, I've never heard of this. Let me check out this movie now. And you should check it out. But it needs to be said, what we're saying here, that there simply isn't the budget because... Unless you are in a country like the United States that has, you know, millions and tens and tens and millions of people, I mean, you're not going to have that many people paying to see a movie. So uh, this movie, I think, cost about seven or eight million dollars to make, which would be considered a pretty big budget Canadian movie. Uh, and then the fact that it goes on to make twelve million dollars, that's considered the biggest movie in history here, uh, which when you consider how much of this was made in Quebec, I mean, that's the other thing is that uh 
Canada, probably even less than the uh, Australia, sees Canadian movies. When you're in Quebec, because in Quebec, the, the national language is French, or the provincial language, let's say, is French, uh, you're going to get a lot of Quebec movies that do better than stuff like The Avengers, because people want to see a movie in their native tongue, and you can't just import all these movies from France. So uh, I did some interesting digging here, and I found that... Uh, uh, at the time this movie came out, at least, 25% of the box office in Quebec was from Quebec-made films or Canadian movies, like mm. uh, French-language Canadian movies, which is crazy to think that 25% of the movies out there are what people paid to see were homegrown movies. Yet in the rest of ca- Canada, it's barely over 1%. <laughs> so when you go to the it's not even an exaggeration. When you go to the theater, you're like, oh, there's a Canadian movie playing, and it's there for a week. That's because only 1% of admissions are for Canadian movies. Occasionally, you get a um, one where the, the let's produce a movie that's geared more towards your average fans, because most of ours are art house films. But there was a movie in the 90s called Air Bud that most mm. people will probably remember, <laughs> which was about a dog that played football. It st- ended up spawning like a huge franchise, but that was a Canadian movie. And at the time, it was like, this Canadian movie is making, you know, tons of money in the United States. And meanwhile, it made, I don't know, like $20 million or $25 million in the United States or something like that. But you're not going to go out of your way to make a movie just for entertainment when you only have a couple million dollars to play with. It's very hard to make a, a cop film, a buddy cop film, an action film on this budget, which is why I said this movie leans more towards the the drama, the story, than it does the action. We get a little bit of action in here. Uh, but just the fact that this movie is bilingual and I feel like it's seamless. Maybe it is because in Canada, at least for the first eight years in school, you have to take French at the time I was in school. You had to take French for eight years. You know, I can watch this even though I probably couldn't watch it without subtitles and get everything they're saying. You can pick up enough of what they're saying in French. So when they're transitioning between sometimes half of a line is in French and then they finish the the line in English, but it's kind of fun the way that this movie was released as two separate versions. When you saw it in Quebec, sometimes you're seeing a slightly different version because they may have one line that is in English. And then the next line is in French in Quebec. And they may swap those hmm. uh, when they're in the rest of Canada. So the first line was in French when you were in Quebec and the second line in English. Whereas here, it may be the second line and, you know, it, just because it plays differently. But it, 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 it's it's just such a fun idea for a movie, and I'm glad they made a sequel to it years later, which, you know, maybe we'll cover that next year. Uh, I think we could, I, I agree with what you say. This feels like it could have been, you know, the premise for a great TV series, because uh, it kind of is just, you know, a, a TV premise. I think it, it would be a quality TV show, too. But yeah, there's like a weird split in this, you know, uh, halfway through the movie where it's almost an awkward transition. You wonder, did they intend for this to be both? Um, you rewatched this, you said, <laughs> had a little bit of trouble finding the subtitles. Um, I don't know if, you know, Mallory, because she studied French in school as well, if it's easier for you, but did you, especially somebody who, you know, has issues reading, uh, <laughs> still at a beginner's level, um, did you find it harder to have to be reading the subtitles and did it throw you off at all? Really quickly, the movie that I was talking about, My Awkward Sexual Adventure. That's the name of that movie. Yes, I found that's, it. From yes. A, that's from a, a Winnipeg director too. I, I, I knew we had, again, I knew we'd had this discussion before because I think I may yeah, have watched it based after you mentioning it, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I the thing I found difficult, I think, about this is when you're writing notes and you're trying to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I like... 
we joked and whatever about me being dumb all the time uh, on Parasite and everything. <laughs> but like the, the difference with this and Parasite is that I think this movie goes by quicker to me because it's like it is half French, half English. So kind of, you know, it's not the whole time reading it. Um, and again, I, I, I really should point out, I am not anti-subtitle movies. I have seen plenty of subtitle movies in my life, and I have enjoyed many subtitle movies in my life. It's just clearly not my preference, because I don't like to read. But Mallory, I believe when we watched this, she did go through a lot of it without reading the subtitles, because I think she's passed enough tests that she understands enough French that she kind of get by. And look, I did two years of French in high school. Clearly, it's not compulsory in Australia. No language, basically, is where that racist. Who needs to Not speak? even English. We don't even... Yeah, exactly. As long as you're racist, mate, you'll fit in. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like... It's, it's funny, because I've been to Montreal a couple of times and, you know, experienced what it's like there. And, yeah, it is it is very... It is such a unique city and a unique province, Quebec, to go to in the middle of Canada, which... I think the majority of the world who don't really know a lot about Canada probably just thinks like Canada is just America light. They just speak like Americans and they speak English, whereas they don't realise there's obviously a huge big part of your country, which is French, and particularly when you go to Quebec when it is just basically French all over. Um, so it would, it would be fascinating because like, I really do want to learn Fran- French to when I move to Canada to date this. I've, I've probably talked about it before I'm talking and I'm about to move to Canada. So, you know, it would be interesting to be able to watch this film from that Quebec, Quebecois, um, perspective and kind of see it around there because it is. I think that's what makes this really entertaining is that it's just kind of that cross cultural thing for someone like myself who isn't exposed to that as much as obviously you would be to kind of see the way they they interact with each other and it's not like kind of you'd watch a movie like this that maybe is you know the British and the French or something like that where you kind of know the stereotypes you kind of know that whereas again I don't really know much about the the, the English and and the French side of rivalries in in canada and everything particularly with like ontario and and quebec so it's fascinating and that that definitely makes it very more entertaining for someone like myself to to watch it just in the event that anybody is still listening to this episode and hasn't seen the movie um go watch the movie but i don't want to give the impression that this is like a very serious movie that's just about like the differences between french and english canadian culture that's sort of in a background thing, but it is one of the most interesting things about the movie. I mean, this is basically just a fun entertainment you know, action movie about a serial killer who's knocking off people related to hockey teams and stuff like that. And you, it, it gets really crazy as far as what the plot is. But the genesis of this movie came from one of the two stars, you know, the, the star um, Patrick Ward, who uh, not only stars in this movie, but he co-wrote the movie and produced the movie and did the same with the sequel. And he came up with the idea for this a couple of years before the movie came out when he was at the um, the equivalent of the Canadian Oscars. And he was doing uh, kind of a, a comedy act on the differences between English language and, you know, French language Canadians, not just the language, but the, the culture and everything. And after doing that, he sort of realized like that's, that's kind of a really interesting idea. And he, he sort of put together Bon Cop, Bad Cop to talk about some of those differences, you know, not in such a serious way, but to make fun of it. And I think one of the most fun things about this movie is they will poke fun at both sides. I mean, when we get to the introductions of the character, it was very intentional how they wanted these characters to play on the stereotypes. It is about stereotypes, but it's not because this movie is made primarily as a Quebec film. It's not meant to just make fun of 
English Language Canada. It's made to make fun of both. Um, the two stars of this movie, Patrick Ward, I'm not as familiar with him because, again, he primarily works in Quebec and mostly in French language stuff. Uh, but the other star, Colm Fior, he's the guy, if you watch this movie, you're going to recognize him. Yeah. And he's, I think it's great whenever we have a Canadian actor that makes it big, Canadians get really excited. Uh, they'll sort of always claim them as Canadian, but they'll often, you know, forget. Like Jim Carrey is Canadian, Mike Myers, they're Canadian. But they make American movies, so they lose a little bit of that Canadian uh, card once they start doing that. So it's always really cool for Canadians when there's an actor that achieves success in America and they decide they're going to still float back and forth. Uh, and Colm Fior is one of the original examples of this. I mean, he if you go through his filmography, he pretty much always has done, I'll do a movie in America, then I'll come back to Canada. And his more respectable movies tend to be the Canadian ones. I mean, he gets supporting roles and like he was in Face Off, for example. Uh, he was in City of Angels. But uh, some of the early movies he got uh, praise for here that he did a movie called 32 Short Films about Glenn Gould, which is very much an art house movie, but about a famous Canadian pianist. And I think he won a lot of awards for that one. Uh, there was a movie he made called The Red Violin, which is one of the best Canadian movies I've ever seen. Again, more of an art house movie. Uh, probably most well known to people for two things. Uh, one, he played the main villain in the Chronicles of Riddick, which was, you know, the big budget sequel to Pitch Black that Vin Diesel did. Uh, very over the top performance, hilarious to watch him in that. He's kind of trying to go campy in it. It's great. And then the other thing would be he was on uh, season of 24 playing yeah. the first husband, Henry Taylor, yep. uh, which is probably what you would know him from. Yeah. But uh, here, in, here in Canada, he had his biggest success, not even from those. If you ask Canadians, what do you know this guy from? They're probably going to pinpoint either that movie 32 short films of Glenn Gould or they're going to pinpoint uh, the miniseries he made Trudeau, which is about not our current prime minister, Justin Trudeau, but his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. It looks very much like, like Justin. This- I, was, I was expecting it. Like he's got a nice butt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Colm Fiora's butt. Like, Ooh. you would think you're, you know, you're looking at it, Trudeau. <laughs> but um, uh, the Trudeau miniseries was such a huge deal here. I think the Canadian TV industry is much bigger in Canada. Part of that is because we have rules. There are regulations where you say you have to have this much Canadian content. It would be nice if you did that with movies too. But the the Trudeau miniseries was so huge here. It would have been like on level with what the Kennedys miniseries was in the United States. Uh, but he played Pierre Elliott Trudeau and is probably still most well known for that. Uh, so they got big stars to be in this, which again, doesn't help a Canadian movie, but it helps you have some recognition. Um, other than 24, have you seen anything that Colm Fior was in? Uh, I have seen the Chronicles of Riddick a very long time ago. I, I, I got mm. very confused with it because Pitch Black was such a different movie. And I'm like, is this the yeah. same movie series? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I got so confused. Um, I always get him confused, um, with Richard Jenkins because I always thought he was the the dad in Step Brothers. Oh yeah, like I think they're very similar looking. So often I'll see Richard Jenkins in something, and go, hey, it's the the guy from Twenty Four, and it's not. Um, but just looking at the filmography. He's been a lot of things I've seen, and I do actually remember. Like, obviously, uh, when we did Amazing Spider-Man 2, I remember talking about him. He was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sum of All Fears, I've seen that, but I don't remember him in that. It's been a long time since I've seen that, though. But even with the television, like, the, he was in the um, the last season of House of Cards, uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was either the last or the second last season. Um, and, yeah, but 24, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah. he was, you know, one of the main characters when we had... I mean, what it was the first husband, as you said. So, and spoiler alert: doesn't he get killed? Doesn't he get assassinated? Isn't that 
It's been a long time since I've in seen... In 24? Yeah. It's been a, I don't remember I, the later seasons as much I as I remember, remember the newest. I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure he gets assassinated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm definitely familiar with him. And I, I it's just, yeah, again, that's like, I feel like a lot of the things I can sort of respond to that about Australia is kind of similar what we can talk about next week. But I feel that's a very similar thing with Australian movies as well, is that clearly we've got a lot of famous Australian actors who very rarely will come back and do an Australian film. And when they do, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you're not a fan of the movie Australia, and I know that's probably technically not an Australian movie, but, I mean, when that was being in production, that was a huge deal. You know, Baz Luhrmann coming back, he's enticed Nicole Kim, and it was Russell Crowe at the time, but then eventually it turned into be Hugh Jackman. Um, but even, you know, when you look at Swinging Safari that I mentioned before, you know, they get Guy Pearce back into it, Kylie Minogue, who hadn't acted in a long time. You know, that was that was a big deal. Um, and then and I, I'm sure it's probably the same with Canadian movies too. It might be a bit different. You've got a slightly bigger population and maybe a bit more of a bigger acting feel because you're so close to the States. But a lot of Australian movies will often have the same. Like you get to know the actors in Australia pretty quickly who are doing Australian cinema because often they come from TV shows. And again, Australian TV shows generally you do the rounds. You've been in your home and away, your neighbours, your blue healers, and then eventually you graduate. If you don't make it in the States, you're kind of there. So when we watch the two Australian movies, Movies, you know, there's lots of connections between all the cast members in the two that we're doing. And it's also a similar thing like how you were saying with this movie about it being a um, a bit of a, you know, a look at the stereotypes and kind of poking fun at both sides of, you know, the, the Quebecois and the, and the non-Quebecois. Like, that's a very Australian thing too. Like, the castle is a, just a parody of Australian suburban life, basically. It's just, that's what Australians do. We poke fun at ourselves. We're very much like the English... Mm-hmm. Where we just we just make fun of ourselves and poke fun at stereotypes. Even Boytown, in its weird way, is just a a poking fun at a certain type of stereotype and just being whacked up about it. So I think we're, what we're discovering, even talking here for like twenty twenty five minutes without talking about the movie yet, is that we're going to have a lot of similarities in how Australian and Canadian mm-hmm. movies are, are made. Uh, we can get into the movie here, um, which, uh, like you said, this is a very quick movie, so I don't think uh, <laughs> we can get through a lot right here just in the first section. But over like the opening credits, if you're listening well enough or reading your subtitles, uh, <laughs> you'll immediately pick up on the fact that you're flipping through all these commentators talking about uh, on the radio a Canadian team. There's rumors are going to be sold to the U.S., so you know that's a big thing here in Canada. Every time we lost a team, I mean, I'm from Winnipeg, so. When we lost the Jets, you know, that was sort of the first loss. And then it was only, I think, a year after that when the Quebec Nordiques left for Colorado Avalanche, which a lot of this movie is slightly based on. Uh, but there's a guy who's strapped to a chair and you see there's a mask bill. And I love this this mask. I mean, I don't even think the first time I saw this, I picked up on right away. It's supposed to be a goalie's mask because this isn't what goalie masks look like now. But this is sort of like an old goalie's mask, like a 60s, 70s goalie's mask. But it's like painted black. It looks kind of creepy. There's a guy in the chair, and uh, he eventually takes his mask off off camera, which I think is great. And the, the other guy who's strapped to the chair, his reaction is like, I tried to help you or whatever. So you have no clue what's going on here. He goes at him from behind, kills him with a hockey stick. Uh, so it's very clear right away that this serial killer we're about to get is influenced by hockey in some way. Uh, then we're introduced to Comfior, and uh, this is one of those introductions that was intentionally meant to play on stereotypes. You know, the stereotypes, this isn't like stereotypes of what all people think of Canada, because if if this were what outside of Canada people were thinking of Canada, you know, we'd be drinking a glass of maple syrup and, <laughs> you know, uh, the kid would be out in the yard feeding the moose or something like that. That's Saying not the way sorry. it is. But <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> but um, 
the the way that uh, I guess Patrick Ward when he was writing this, the way that he. I, I guess thought that French Canadians thought of English speaking Canadians was that, Oh, they're all so stuck up, you know, they have to look proper and everything. So he wanted to introduce Comfior here, ironing his clothes in the middle of the kitchen <laughs> and being an incredibly uncool dad. I love that his, his son gets introduced here. His son, by the way, is sort of a minor star here in uh, Canada, Eric Knudsen. Uh, he, um, I know him most from Scott Pilgrim versus the world. He kind of has a hilarious small role in Scott Pilgrim, but uh, he starred on a, a TV show called um, Continuum that's uh, a really good Canadian sci-fi show that went for a couple seasons. Um, but uh, he's the son, and he, it's very clear what they're doing. The opening scene here is his dad keeps asking questions. He had some type of DJing job the previous night. He's a 15-year-old kid. I know a lot of 15-year-old kids get jobs as DJs. <laughs> I really was questioning that. But he's like, how was the thing? It was fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. With lots of people. Yeah, and he's saying nothing at all, and then he's saying, okay, well, I have to go to work, so your aunt's going to come over, and she's going to watch you, and the aunt comes in, and she's immediately asking, he's like, oh, yeah, so when I was DJing, he's immediately, and Comvier is asking the question right away, so why does he answer all the questions to me, he doesn't even want to, or he answers all the questions to you, but doesn't even want to talk to me, and she's like, well, that's because you're his dad, or whatever, but my favorite moment here is uh, when Comvier is trying to talk about doing the DJing thing, Yeah, and he's like, DJ man, and he starts like doing this as if he's spinning the record and he's like woo 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 it's just again intentionally meant to be the most uncool thing you've ever seen but that's how all people from Toronto are right like that's how the Maple Leafs yeah that's that's all people in Canada I mean I do that every morning that's how I wake up that's your that's your um, breakfast news like your NBC today your CBC today it's like oh hey welcome everyone to the show hey I'm a DJ man that's that's the DJ man that's actually a yoga pose in Canada the DJ man That's why a Canadian um, team haven't won the Stanley Cup in like 26 years because they're just too busy doing DJ uh, man moves. Yeah, DJ man. Or maybe that if they did the DJ man more, they would actually win a Stanley Cup. Exactly. <laughs> we we get the exact same scene played out now in Montreal. Where we're introduced to um, uh, Patrick Ward's character, David Bouchard. Uh, and he's obviously a very gritty cop. You know, he's beaten up. His daughter, who's a little bit younger, you know, I'm guessing she's supposed to be about 12 or 13. She comes in and, you know, she's uh, asking to get her belly button pierced. And he's saying no. And she's like, you get your head sewn up once a week and I can't get my belly button pierced. Uh, his wife's there with him. You, you kind of have a cool scenario here where him and his wife, you don't realize right away that, you know, because they're living together and everything, you don't realize they're actually divorced. Uh, so he lives with his wife, which she comes back in the sequel. Um, uh, it's kind of an interesting spin they have on the character in the sequel. Uh, but um, the he gets called into work as his wife sort of uh, expects. She had said something about, you know, when he's with his daughter, uh, for 10 minutes a day, you're actually like a regular civilized human being. And uh, how come it's only 10 minutes a day? And then he gets called into work and says, see, 10 minutes or whatever. So both Comfior and... Uh, Patrick Ward. So I'll just call him for the characters name. Ward and Bouchard. So Ward is the English speaking, and Bouchard's the French Canadian. If you can't figure it out by the name, uh, Ward and Bouchard they get uh, called to the Ontario Canadian border, uh, where there's a body that's literally teetering on its waist. Half of it in Ontario, half in Quebec, which is the setup for how do you get two guys from different provinces that have to work a case together? Uh, and again, playing on the you know uh, Canadian and French Canadian stereotypes here. Uh, the way they introduce themselves is also really funny. When Ward walks up to him and he presents his badge, he's like, Martin Ward, all stiff and proper. And then Bouchard just sort of like mocks him. It's like, David Bouchard! <laughs> <laughs> his badge. Um, and it gets pretty over the top here as they're 
trying to decide whose case it is. And they're saying like, well, his feet are in Canada and football, you know, if your feet are over the line and it's like, yeah, but you know, the head, it's just this back and forth debate over it's your case, it's your case or whatever. Uh, they get a ladder, they go up to investigate how this body's just sort of hanging there. Uh, the ladder falls and they both end up dangling. Now this would sound like something out of a really, really over the top Fairly Brothers comedy, but it's actually played in kind of a straight way. So it's just sort of funny, but you know, not too over the top where one of them is hanging on to the arms and one of them's hanging on to the legs. And then the body literally rips in half. So now you have a body that has been split on the Canadian Ontario border. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, we find out that uh, one can speak English and one can uh, speak French. Cause uh, in the previous scene, we saw that Bouchard did know some English, uh, but uh, Ward's sort of been playing with him. And when they're talking, they're, their captains are setting up, you guys are going to work together now. You know, this is a, a dual province case. I don't want to work with him. And they realize that Ward can speak um, uh, French here. You know, they're like, oh, you speak French. He says, no, I just see subtitles under people <laughs> when they speak, which is such a great line. Uh, and we um, uh, go to the autopsy scene next. So as they're doing the autopsy, uh, they're trying to find out what happened. This guy, this guy's really quirky, the autopsy. I feel like this is just such a stereotype in any movie. If you work in a morgue, you have to be quirky. You have to be weird. Uh, but the the question they ask is when he's saying, oh, yeah, he has this, this, and this. And he fell from this height. And it t- he's totally nerding out with, you know, it must have been at least 80 meters because of the impact. It's like, okay, but is he circumcised? And he peeks under <laughs> the sheets. He goes, yes. <laughs> they discover that there's a tattoo on the victim, <laughs> which is tattoo. a fr- tattoo. A- tattoo? What? Tattoo? Oh, yeah. When he's because pronouncing of the, French, the word. Yeah. Tattoo. <laughs> a tattoo? A tattoo? <laughs> I just love that. He's like, he's basically just keeps saying, like, when he's saying, how do you say that in English? Tattoo. 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 Yeah. Tattoo. <laughs> well, even in the. I, I should go back for a second. Even the previous scene, uh, I really like when they're. The two captains are translating for each other, but they don't realize that these guys can <laughs> speak both languages. So the French guy, every time, you know, Bouchard's saying something, the French captain's translating for the English captain. The English captain says something to Ward, and then he translates back. And then when they're uh, realizing they can speak, and the French captain is trying to speak in English, he keeps trying to say opportunity. Hop to the day. Hop to the No, opportunity. Hop to the There's some good play on the language there. Uh, but there's a tattoo. They don't know what the tattoo means, but that's being a big part of the plot. Um, when they're walking out, it's great. This is a joke, obviously, for both audiences on the fact that this movie is splitting. It's it's a bilingual movie. Uh, when they leave the morgue and, uh, you know, Ward says something like, I didn't understand half of what he said. And Bouchard's like, neither did I. <laughs> uh, we're just going to have to, any Bouchard line is going to have to be a tattoo. tattoo English. Parlez-vous uh, English? But... <laughs> You did that very well. Uh, when they're when they're driving <laughs> to uh, interrogate their first suspect, they're trying to find out because of where it was dropped. It must have been from a helicopter or something like that. So they want to find out who rented a helicopter last night. And when they're driving there, and this was the stereotype of bad French drivers uh, because Bouchard has to be a completely reckless driver and uh, Ward has to be a very uptight passenger. And he's like, you know, this is an official car. You can't do this unless you have a siren. You can't be driving like this without a siren. He's like, roll down the window and yell out with the sound effects. <laughs> he actually wants Ward to do that. Uh, when they get there, we get uh, another one of two dual scenes where the uh, helicopter rental clerk or whatever is very into Bouchard uh, <laughs> after they're interrogating, you know, uh, who rented out this helicopter. 
And then she's asking Bouchard, uh, maybe I can get your, your card, your number. And I was like, why? You know, so that I can call you. If I remember anything, and she's obviously trying to hit on him. He goes, here, he hands her, write this down. Nine, yes, one, yes, one. <laughs> call 911 and ask for me. They will know. <laughs> uh, th- after this, they go to uh, a bar where they're about to interrogate their suspect. They lay out all the ground rules of... Ward, I do the interrogations or whatever, and uh, all these rules are getting thrown out the window, but they sort of lay their ground rules of who gets to do what. And um, when they go into the bar, now we get the exact same scene played out with Ward. So he's talking to the barmaid, and he's trying to ask questions of her, and she's hitting on him heavily. Uh, They find their suspect here. I'll just call him Mustache Man. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. Yeah, Mustache. (laughs) They're dedicating Mustache here. And uh, he's not cooperating at all. This starts a fight, which, of course, you know, Ward is not getting the upper hand in the fight because French Canadians are much tougher. And um, also, they're very uptight. So he order- only orders a ginger ale, which I just want to point out, that is not ginger ale she pours in the glass. Mm. Like, g- ginger ale, I'm guessing this is a thing in Australia, too. I'm sure you've had it in other places. Yes, I have had ginger ale. Okay, <laughs> just wondering. Just, no stereotypes just to clear that here. up. None no, of these Australian stereotypes where we don't like ginger well, ale. I'm, well, I'm sorry, but I learned a s- certain thing from The Simpsons that no matter what you ask for, the Austrians are B E E. Yeah, when you actually go to a supermarket and you like go order a bottle of Coke, it's just it's literally amber coloured and milk is just everything's yeah. beer here in Australia. <laughs> B, <laughs> which should be the same thing in Canada. You think with the stereotype, but she pours them what's got to be a Seven Up or a Sprite because it's completely clear that is not. That is our plot hole of the movie there. That is not ginger ale. <laughs> I want to see real ginger ale. If you do a Bon Cop, Bad Cop 3, it needs to be real ginger ale. Uh, George Lucas special edition, go back when... in there and edit a, a, a ginger ale color in there, you know. Well, funny enough, that must be one of the alternate takes. When you were in Quebec, you saw real ginger yeah. ale. But <laughs> since I'm watching the the uh, English-Canadian version, uh, I see clear liquid so we can uh, um, uh, complain about something. I love when uh, Ward's doing his interrogation in there uh, before the fight starts. And uh, Bouchard's just figuring out what can I do outside. And he notices his hubcap is gone because this is sort of a thing. Like when the mirror falls off <laughs> the car door, he just has the world's worst car. Uh, and he notices his hubcap is gone. So I don't even know where he got it from. But they just cut back to him at one point outside as he's just killing time. And he's taken a hubcap off somebody else's car, tries to put it on as it doesn't fit. So he just sort of throws it away. When he eventually comes in and, you know, Ward's uh, can. Pl- completely getting pinned down in this fight and he's asking him for help and he's like uh i don't know this man why is he asking me for help um but uh he ends up um uh, i guess coming in and saving the day because the french canadian uh, is the uh tougher one which it becomes a running gag here that they don't play by the rules in quebec uh as after they capture mustache here they uh, are going to apprehend him, and Ward wants to put him in the back of the car, but Bouchard just throws him in the trunk of the car, which becomes a running gag in this movie. Uh, and he's like, you can't do that. And I just love the, just the physical comedy as they're debating back and forth of this is against the rules. And they keep trying to close this thing, and it won't close on them <laughs> no matter what they do. Like, sometimes, you know, Mustache here is forcing the trunk up, and then eventually, they, they, as they can't close this, he's like, your foot's in the way. <laughs> he just kicks his foot out of the way. It's, like, oh, sorry. it's such a great gag. <laughs> Yeah, uh, they have to go to his uh, daughter's dance recital here, uh, and he parks in the handicap space because no regard for the rules, French-Canadian drivers. Uh, and when they go inside, uh, they're still arguing uh, very openly about there's a man locked in the trunk of the car. 
they watch this nice ballet recital, which I love the way that Bouchard does this. He's doing the moves as his daughter's doing it, you know, throwing his arms around. And then there's the one uh, male dancer uh, where they say, uh, uh, please join us in a round of applause for our girls. And everybody's applauding. Oh, yes. And you too, Greg, or whatever the kid's name is. And then what he's sort that? of watching Greg. <laughs> what? That kid, he's, he's just so random. It's just like, oh, everyone good, including you. But his name like Marcel or something like that. Like, it's just so random. Yeah, Who is yeah. this kid? <laughs> it's just a random kid. <laughs> Matthew. There's only, that's a, see, that's another thing you don't realize about Canada. Only one boy could be admitted into de- ballet classes. <laughs> this is a thing here. How come you don't know this? Ma- Ma- Matthew, I think his name is. Sounds like you sneezing. Matthew? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> French Matthew. Uh, but the, but when um, the daughter, Gabrielle, when she, uh, I guess, has to have, I don't know, I, she doesn't put her hands on him, but Mathieu, when he puts his hands on her, he's like, what is that boy doing putting his hands on my daughter? <laughs> Very uptight father. Very Arnold Schwarzenegger French there. <laughs> That's the only accent I do. <laughs> Get your, your hands off my daughter! <laughs> um... But uh, when they go outside after this is over, they've left Mustacha locked in the trunk of the car the whole time. And then they see their cars being towed. So now disaster. Suspect locked in the trunk of a car illegally. Cars being towed. They start flashing their badges, trying to catch up for them. So the truck driver does stop. But then the car blows up. So somebody has rigged this car to explode. And now they have an even bigger problem because... They're saying, a man just blew up inside of our car. We have to report this. No, don't report it. Just give me 24 hours. I don't know why he just agrees. With, okay, I'll give you 24 hours. Like, they're cleaning this. This wasn't such a big explosion that there aren't going to be, I don't know, this man's thumbs like sitting in <laughs> some woman's hair right now. Like the body parts are going to be everywhere. And they're just me like, nobody's going to know. Like there would be body parts everywhere. But that's basically the setup for what's going to happen in the rest of the movie. They're not obeying the rules. They now have a dead suspect, one of many that are about to come, and uh, they got 24 hours before Ward's going to report this. You basically covered half the movie. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> a third, at least. <laughs> uh, crazy. Um, the way- I'll go back to saying how it feels like a TV episode, too, because there's a lot of the editing, kind of like when you've got these transitional shots of driving from one point to the other, it's kind of, you've got to spit up highway. Um, and just kind of little bits here and there. It just it feels so much more like an extended TV episode. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's it's unique, and I think it's also again to comparisons to sort of Australian movies. I guess we're all so used to watching how an American movie is generally made that whenever you kind of see a, a non-American movie, you know, there's little eccentricities and things like that that are different that kind of don't feel normal. Like this, I think there's a lot of random in this movie. Like it's kind of why do we even meet uh, Thingo's son? He kind of plays no point in this entire movie. Yeah. He's just there. Um, every single female in this movie is horny, basically. Uh, <laughs> like, just literally every woman in this movie is horny. Um, and then it's just, why do we even need to meet um, his sister just so we can bang um, Mr. Quebecois later on, essentially? Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's odd, but it's like, it's still, it's fine. It's, you know... It's- Good setup, I, I mean, guess. Really, as I'm saying, there's the flip side of what they did in this movie is they wanted these two guys to be the exact same guy, just polar opposites. So one has a daughter, which, again, probably fits more into the story, obviously does, because it's a major part of the story. So the other guy has to have a son. So you got something you can relate to, but their kids are completely different. One guy's got a wife, you know, which we're going to find out you know, in a minute. There's a little bit of a connection with the opposing guy. So the other guy couldn't have a wife, so he's got to have a sister. Yeah, so I get what you're saying. It's all obviously there 
to show that they're both doing the exact same thing. They are essentially the same person, although totally opposite personalities. But each time it does sort of feel more random on one side than the other. He, is his sister a flight attendant? Like, she's wearing, like, a leather jacket with a scarf around her neck. Like, she's just got such an odd... Is that what people in Toronto wear in 2006? Like, did I miss something here? Um, but I I do I'm love... wearing the- it right now. I thought thought you would be. Um, I do like how um, that that Martin is basically ironing his pants, wearing no pants in front of his sister, and then later on we're yes. going to get a scene where he basically is walking around another room with his sister in, in her underwear. So like this is a very okay. odd family. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm confession time here. Okay. Oh no, that is not the unfair stereotype. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought this was just myself my entire life. Oh come on, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'll just strip down in my underwear when I get home. <laughs> I'm usually wearing a shirt, I but like out. you know, <laughs> boxers or whatever around the house. I mean, I've got three boys. You know, we're potty training Casper. I mean, Jamie doesn't walk around in a bra all day, but uh, th- I thought that was just a me thing. Like, you come home, your pants are off. I mean, I talked to somebody. It was only a couple weeks ago, and they're like, as soon as I get in the door, first thing I do, pants off. They don't go back on unless I'm leaving the house. <laughs> and even sometimes then, they don't go back on. If your sister comes around or your brother comes around, do you put your pants back on? Oh, yeah. You put, I mean, if somebody rings the doorbell, that's why it takes us a long time to answer the door here. If somebody <laughs> rings the doorbell, I'll actually yell through, just a minute, and I'll go and I'll put some pants on, and then I'll answer the door. <laughs> See, like, I'm all for taking pants off and everything and walking around with them, but, um, you know, like, in front of your brother or your sister? Like, that's, I don't know. Like, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. We wouldn't do it in front of siblings, I wouldn't think, but... Uh... Uh, no, just re- regular family. Th- this brings up about an extra question. I'll let you get back to it in a second. But I-, I don't know if this is – I'm just realizing things about Canadians now. I don't know if this is a Canadian thing. But um, in Canada, as opposed to America, we always wonder with Americans, like they keep their shoes on every- everywhere they go. Like they come in the house. Maybe they change shoes when they get in the house. But you wear shoes indoors. In Canada, nobody has shoes on in the house. You might have socks, but you're walking around with no shoes in the house. I mean, the reason is probably because we have longer winters here, longer winters than someplace in the south, but probably the same as in the north. But you just you you take your shoes off and you leave them there, and then you're walking walking around barefoot or in socks for the rest of the day. What what is it in Australia? Is it normal to have shoes in the house, or do you uh, lose your shoes? It's fifty fifty. I mean, I I was always grown up on like our house was never a shoes off house. It was just do what you want, and whenever somebody would come over and go, oh shoes off, you just go whatever. It's up to you. Like I I personally would just wear my shoes for a little bit and go, oh fuck, I'm still wearing my shoes and take them off. I'm still that way now. But being with Mallory, Mallory's very much a oh take your shoes off, take your shoes. Off. Why aren't you taking your yeah. shoes off? And it's, yeah, because it's not even a question here. It's, yeah. it, it, there, there is no way around it. If you're in Canada, your shoes are off at the door. You keep them off. It's, I mean, but I mean, I generally, if I go to someone's house, I will say like, oh, shoes on or off. Like, because I, I get that some people are very much like, you know, oh, don't wear your shoes in the house. But I don't know. Like, <laughs> Australians don't give a shit. <laughs> what color are the shoes? They're black. Take them off. So that's, that's basically. I just wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to get to the point in Canada where you walk into somebody's house and we're at least in the middle ground where it's like, uh, pants on or off? Oh, off's fine. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, in Australia, it's pants off. Mate, take your fucking <laughs> pants off. What are you doing wearing them still? Um, that, that's how. But the French, obviously, would be naked. We know that for a fact when they walk yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, one thing that's actually funny, though, like with these stereotypes, because, again, like obviously, I'm aware of this now, but I, I think a lot of people probably, again, who aren't aware of sort of the French-English sort of divide in Canada... I think a lot of people would probably be a bit confused that it's sort of the French side who are a bit more like rough around the edges, a bit more, you know, casual. And whereas it's the English people are a bit more proper because if I'm thinking of it from a perspective of the French, I would assume that French are proper 
So I would then assume mm-hmm. that like it would be the French Canadians who would be a bit proper and you know all that sort of stuff, not the other way around. So it's kind of unique from that perspective. I think a lot of people might be, um, I don't know, a bit confused about that. So it's just like something that you you non Frenchers in Canada just look down and they're like, oh look at those rough little idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the divide in Canada, like it is a very real thing. The the English and French language Canadian divide. I wouldn't just say English and French language, like. In Winnipeg, we sort of have a very large French community. Uh, we're probably one of the cities in Canada that has one of the largest French populations. There is a neighborhood here in Winnipeg that is pretty much all French. You know, all the streets are named in French and stuff like that. And people speak French. Uh, we have schools in you know every part of the city that are French immersions. So, you know, the primary language of that school is French. So it's not so much a language thing, but it is a thing with Quebec and the rest of Canada. Um it's not so much, oh, you know, those rough Quebecers. It's more like those angry Quebecers uh, because the biggest issue in Canada is Quebec wanting to separate. Mm. Uh, I mean, if if you're not from Canada, you don't even probably could never understand how big of a deal it is. But there have been multiple times where it has gone to votes that are like TV shuts down and every single Canadian network is just airing results of the Quebec referendum. That's happened multiple times where Quebec is voting. Should we separate from Canada? And it's always sort of been a very big deal. Uh, and that, I think, is what sort of led to, you know, this whole divide of uh, the rest of Canada sort of viewing Quebec as like, those are the angry Quebecers, not so much rough around the edges, but more so angry. Tasmanians and the rest of Australia, except, you know, uh, we we couldn't ever separate because we already are separated. We're an island. But um, no, I mean, I've yeah, been to Montreal. I've got a friend in there. We've talked a lot about it and kind of it's interesting getting that, you know, viewpoint from everything. But um, one thing I'll say, though, that on this border... Um, I just did a bit of math because, I mean, I've been to Montreal, I've been to Toronto and I remember when I was in Montreal, I did a day trip to Ottawa and it was only, I think, like a two-hour trip down there and a two-hour back, but I knew it was a lot further to Toronto. So, it's five and a half hours between Montreal and Toronto to drive there, but to the border, it's only 58 minutes to the Quebec-Ontario border from Montreal, but four and a half hours from Toronto. <laughs> so, uh, Martin Ward's driven a long time here to get to the border, basically. Um, so, you can see why I guess he spends a lot more time in Montreal at the beginning here. And just quickly, the hockey teams, because, yes, I mean, what what did I expect watching a Canadian movie that, of course, this whole thing's going to be about hockey? Of course it is. But... Mm-hmm. So, they're obviously not using real NHL teams, but clearly a direct parody of the Maple Leafs and the Canadians. But is it the yeah. the Montreal Patriots? And Did I write the Toronto Argonauts? It's not the Argonauts, is it? What was what are the No, Tor- uh, I don't even remember if they, what they identify the Toronto team as in here. Uh, Argonauts is the, the, the football team, the Canadian oh, football team. Okay. But yeah, I can't remember if, what they identify Toronto as. This is... Um, the NHL's very picky. I, I guess all professional sports organizations, like even the NFL, whenever there's a movie made about football, they don't use NFL ne- names. Um, they'll have to kind of disguise it. I think the only one that ever was allowed to was the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner, which is a great movie. Uh, but we had a TV show here in Canada, which made my top 50 all-time TV show lists called Power Play. Mm. And... The, they had a fictional team so they could have a team name with a logo, but any time on that show where they're like, they're playing Ottawa tonight, they're playing Toronto, they're playing New York, you would just see a, a team with those colors and the logo would be slightly altered so you couldn't tell it was a Rangers logo or LA Kings logo or whatever. And they have to do the same thing in this because the NHL wouldn't give them permission one way or the other. I mean, even a lot of the characters in this, uh, I, they, they, they lighten up on it a little bit in the second movie because they identify a real player. But even in this, when they identify... Uh, 
what's supposed to be Wayne Gretzky. They <laughs> the use the one. number. <laughs> yeah, they call him the great one and they say number 99, but they won't use the name Wayne Gretzky. But uh, in the second one, even though the team still can't use the names, they, they lighten up and they use some real player names in it. That must piss you off then that the Love Guru got the rights to use the Toronto Maple Leafs and they actually show them winning <laughs> a Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. All <laughs> movies. Um, yeah, but I, I, I do enjoy that. I mean, it definitely would be a lot more fun if they were using the real team for sure. But I mean, it's kind of, you can easily tell who they're, they're directly parroting. And I, I like that aspect of this whole movie is basically somebody pissed off that they're moving all these teams down to the States. Like, it's just, uh, I think it's funny. I do love it when they split the body on the sign, basically, <laughs> um, ripping it down. Oh, it's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the guy, the, this is again, another reason, like with the TV show, like kind of the, the more guy is very much like what you get in these TV shows. And as you said, you're always going to have like the quirky sort of morgue person. And my Lord, like if I ever do learn French properly, like this guy's, he's a, like, people think Australians speak fast. This guy is just like, <laughs> I'm like holy crap, he's speaking fast. Uh, but he's funny. I, I do like when he goes to shake um, Ward's hand and Ward's just kind of like, uh, no, your glove is filled with blood. But I, I love that bit when they're driving. <laughs> it's just like, why down the window I make police noise? <laughs> so funny. And like, I love that bit too when they shove an old moustache in the boot and they basically just like are going through this whole point of teaching him how to swear. Like, oh no, you would say this in this aspect, but then you could use this in this part as well. Um, and yeah, horny helicopter lady. Again, a horny bar lady. <laughs> Um, and I love it where you yeah, like the, the kind of the fight bit. And what is it when Bouchard's getting his ass kicked and is like, oh, no, uh, sorry, I don't understand French. And he's like, fuck you. He's like, right language, <laughs> wrong words. <laughs> um, so funny. And I didn't actually pick up on the ginger ale thing, actually. That's funny um, that you, you you point that out. Because you're looking for B E. Yeah. <laughs> But I do love just like he goes to the, the his daughter's like ballet recital. Again, it's kind of just random that you just got him sitting there watching a full ballet recital in the space of like the middle of this movie. But I love the background people in this school auditorium. Like as they're walking down the little aisle and you've got the, these two arguing, you've got like these people just over the top, like extending their arms out going like, dude, what are you doing? How are you arguing? And like, just, it's just like, okay, you're an extra and you're confused while these two <laughs> people are fighting. And they're just like so over the top with their arms going, what's going on? What's going on? And then you've got the the teacher woman who is that Lisa Kudrow? I didn't know Phoebe was in this movie. Uh, <laughs> smelly cat, smelly. Uh, and then she's just like, ahem, ahem. Um, and let's be honest, there's like twenty people in this auditorium. Like no one gives a shit about their children. There's so many empty seats. And then I also love the fact that like. Um, his ex-wife has just met Martin and then it's like, again, she's horny for Martin. It's like, oh, do you want to come over for dinner? Okay. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and I do I do love the car blowing up that, again, as you said, like this is a pretty big explosion. This has just happened outside of school and it's just dead quiet. There's like no one's coming to rush. Like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like, And they're just like, man, what are we going to do? Uh, I want just- like, the instructor to just yell inside and say, Matthew, it happened again. <laughs> and where's the um, where's the truck driver? Is he dead? Like, cause, he, know. no, it takes him a long time. Like, I was wondering the same thing because it just stays parked there for probably two minutes, and then two minutes later, he opens the door and sort of rolls out in the background. And you're you're going, ah, oh, damn it, he's not on fire. Oh, I see yeah. it now. There <laughs> he is. There he is, rolling out the thing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, I, I like the setup. I think it, it, it is a very unique take kind of with this idea of it being on the border because I'm pretty sure there was a movie, um, a European movie, where there was kind of a similar story where the, like, the body was one half country and the other. And I think there might have even been an American movie or a TV series where That's this that, was the uh, whole story, wasn't it? What's that Gillian Anderson TV show? Isn't that the premise of it? The X-Files? No, the other one she did. <laughs> Sex education? <laughs> what? <laughs> She's in that sex education show on Netflix at the moment. I'll f- I'll find it. But yeah, no. But I, like, I know this has kind of been done before. But I mean, I, I like that. Like, I think that is because I mean, this is a legitimate thing. Like, I guess it's happened before, and I think it's kind of clever that like the the murderer's done this. You know, because mm-hmm. yeah, who does have jurisdiction over that? And like, does the murderer plan it too? Was mm. this his whole intention? I want to uh, confuse them, have them not know, you know, whose jurisdiction is supposed to be, or it just happened to be like, oh, we landed right on the sign. Look at that, nice shot. But I also think, like, too, the one thing that I kind of question is they're talking about, like, oh, it must have been a helicopter that dropped on the sign. Like, they've both climbed up with a ladder. How do they know that they just haven't gone up on a ladder and put him up on there? Like, that's not even <laughs> question. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why that isn't like their first go to, and then they just maybe just drop a line saying like, well, clearly he wasn't put up here on a ladder, otherwise there would have been this in the sand or the grass or something like that but yeah i don't know uh i was thinking of the fall uh but that's not the one i was thinking of there's another show that's like the fall that jillian anderson is not in that's similar to that so uh i'm sure we'll get it by next week bodies um, on border <laughs> month coming soon to the yeah. odd <laughs> um yeah i i love now the the fun scene we get the dinner scene because now we get the flip side of uh well the first part we're gonna get later on where uh not just are the women horny in this movie but they all want to bang their family members rivals or whatever uh because when they're at the dinner scene and ward is sort of explaining you know someone's background and uh the daughter asks if he was married he says he was divorced and that his wife left him for a prince uh which apparently was another thing and again there's some of these stereotypes that they're playing on that aren't going to you know mean the same thing but uh patrick ward wrote this into the movie because of what french canadians view english language canadians obsession with the monarchy uh with the royal family and all that which really isn't a thing i mean i don't i don't really know anybody that's obsessed with the royal family here there's sort of knowledge of it but i guess french canadians have even less interest in that. So they sort of view that as a stereotype. All those English language Canadians loving the princes and princesses. <laughs> but this was sort of meant to, to get a laugh in Quebec, about the fact that his wife left him for a prince or whatever. Um, but the wife is very into him, or I guess the ex-wife. Uh, Bouchard's ex-wife is very into Ward, uh, which he doesn't pick up on right away. Um, after this, they, they, I guess the next morning, well, they invite him to stay the night too, where, uh, again, the wife doesn't even want to let him leave. Well, I better go back to my hotel. Why doesn't he sleep here? (laughs) It's like, uh, well, my place is a mess. How about he sleeps in the daughter's room and then she sleeps upstairs and that's what they end up compromising on. I mean, this was one step away from being like, what if he sleeps with me and you just leave and stay at his hotel? (laughs) uh but uh this this kind of just ends in the movie after this it's more just teasing they don't go on with it anymore but it, it's it's a fun setup for what's going to happen on the flip side with bouchard and uh the ward sister we get the um the the house that they visit the next time so i don't even remember what the clue is that leads them to this house uh they go and there's nobody there of course bouchard just invites himself to walk in and ward's like we need a warrant we need a warrant this isn't legal oh i heard somebody in distress and he just sort of walks in uh and he keeps inviting uh ward and eventually he does come in 
And we get the mask scare here where I guess we saw Bouchard disappear from the screen. And when Ward walks in, he jumps out with a hockey mask, which is, you know, you think it's a killer, but no, it's not just that it's Bouchard. And they go into the basement and uh, they find that there's a grow up in the basement. That's been a question throughout the movie, which really gets dropped. um, Oh, oh, no, sorry. Never mind. I'm thinking of the second part here. Uh, (laughs) I was about to say, why is nobody asking the, the question about this is supposed to be about drugs, but that becomes a, plot of the second part which you haven't seen uh stay tuned next oh, year for more on that <laughs> but um they they find the grow up in the basement uh when they go upstairs they find the the guy that they've been looking for or i guess not the guy they've been looking for but this was the other guy who was kidnapped which they haven't quite put together who he is or what the connection is uh but the killer had kidnapped this guy and now we see that he's chained to a chair or bed or he's up in a bedroom and he's chained up and uh you know he's obviously dead and um, when they're in the basement, there's uh, the wire gets tripped or not a wire, but kind of like a laser gets tripped and that causes another explosion. So now we know the killer is very into very small explosions. Uh, so this whole grow up is burning and Ward goes upstairs to get the, the victim out, which takes a lot because dead bodies weigh a lot. Apparently uh, he ends up dropping him on the landing of the stairs. Bouchard is stuck in the basement. This is actually a really cool sequence. Like, this is why I meant where you don't have the budget to make a big action movie but let's kind of do a clever way of doing an action scene without it being running and explosion and stunts and everything this this grow up is burning in the basement and he can't get out because the door has been locked and there's a code for this you know lock on the door uh he ends up ripping out the bathtub and turning it over top of himself and he's crawling throughout the fire inside the bathtub to protect him from the fire there's the little holes where um, I guess the plumbing comes into the bathtub the, where, where it was, and he he gets the bright idea. All right, I'm going to shoot through the hole at the lock so I can open the door. He does it the first time, and the bang from the gun inside this hollow bathtub pretty much deafens him. He's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then he ends up having to pull the trigger like six or seven times to frantically get out of there, probably deafening himself in the process. Ends up throwing the bathtub off of him, escapes from uh, the burning basement. Uh, Ward upstairs has dropped the guy on the landing, separated by fire. They're outside the house, and now they're like, all right, we got another dead body that just got blown up. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, then they start to realize, like, are you feeling kind of funny? Yeah, I am too, because I was asking them a question. I feel like it takes a while. Like, you're probably wondering when this grow up starts burning, like, aren't they going to be getting high right now? And. Uh, me i've never really done drugs at all or anything so I, i'm like well maybe it doesn't work like that <laughs> and of course once that line comes like are you feeling funny then you clue and okay that's where they're going with this so when they cut back to the captain's office and this is your <laughs> traditional buddy cop you're off the case buddy give me your badge <laughs> i love it. every time these scenes come up this is so funny uh these guys are just giggling the whole time and they're laughing and they're not taking anything seriously because uh, they're completely high from being inside of a burning grow up. Uh, and the captain basically dismisses Ward and says, you go back home now and your only job is to get him there, which this is sort of a random thing, which I'll call a complaint in the movie. He tells him to escort him to the airport, which he doesn't do. And why is he, they've got to know what's wrong with these guys. Like they show up and these guys are giggling and they're totally out of, out of it. And, there's a grow up burning. They must have known they're high. And meanwhile, like, get behind the wheel and drive him to the airport. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess that's a French stereotype. No regard. Doesn't matter if the guy's high. Just drive him to the airport. Uh, and as they're uh, about to leave, uh, Ward's, I guess, called a taxi. Um, Bouchard's basically said, you know, uh, we have two victims now who are both from Quebec. We have 
suspects who are from Quebec. We have bodies in Quebec. You're no longer needed here. This is a Quebec case. So he leaves. And uh, this is where the very awkward transition happens where I don't know if it's supposed to be a lot longer after this, um, if it's supposed to be weeks later, months later, or whatever. But it just sort of ends with them saying, okay, you leave. And then they cut to Ward at a – I guess there's a quick – transition where you hear the broadcasting talking about a sports agent or whatever and they cut to a house where there's another dead body and ward's there on the case and we're just supposed to get then now this is ontario and bouchard just sort of drives up and invites himself there right now obviously there's probably some deleted scene in there where they realize there's another victim and it's connected to this case oh you better go because this case isn't over and now it is in ontario and quebec but it's just so weird how it just sort of cuts from one to the other Mm. that i feel like there is a missing scene there somewhere but this would have been obviously where the second episode of the tv show that doesn't happen kicks in here uh and uh, we find out this guy's a sports agent so this is where they start to put the clues together uh, the, the tattoo that they find here um, is saying something about Philadelphia, but it's missing the L and the A. And uh, I love that their relationship automatically changes here, too. Like, they're still, you know, kind of at odds, but they're having fun being at odds here. Uh, and it's just sort of a different dynamic that you get. And uh, they're sort of putting together that um, uh, the the next clue, these tattoos are a clue or it's not a clue of who the killer is, but it's a clue of who's coming next. So this tattoo has Philadelphia on there, but it's missing L.A. And uh, they start to speculate about, you know, uh, Los Angeles or whatever. This is what leads them to the number 99 that comes up later on. I think this is – is this where they talk about the great one or is that later? Yeah. No, I think this is where they talk about it. Yeah, because they notice the L.A. is missing from Philadelphia. And <laughs> the next tattoo, I guess they realize, is number 99 or something like that. And – uh, uh they put together that's supposed to be Wayne Gretzky, number ninety nine, Philadelphia, and yeah, or I don't even know if I can't even remember what Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the other one, the previous one. So this is where a lot of the in jokes that Canadians would get start clicking in because um, the the fleur de lis, which is supposed to be the fictional Quebec Nordiques, they had already mentioned. I guess the first guy that was killed was the guy who I guess set up the deal to move the Quebec Nordiques to the Colorado Avalanche. So even though they're not using the real NHL names, they're using real stories here. And I think they mentioned the number 88 as well. And that's where the Philadelphia thing comes into play because um, the story behind this is – are you familiar with the player Eric Lindros? I am not familiar with the player Eric Lindros. Okay. Uh, so back in the 90s, you probably had like four or five guys who were like the biggest stars in hockey. There was Wayne Gretzky. There was Mark Messier. There was uh, Mario Lemieux, who played for the Penguins. And then there was Eric Lindros, who played for uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Eric Lindros was drafted. He was the number one draft pick. He was considered to be the next Wayne Gretzky. And um, uh, the Quebec Nordiques, who had the number one draft pick that year, selected him. And after he was selected and drafted by the Nordiques, Eric Lindros said, I refuse to play for the Nordiques. So he literally sat on the shelf for an entire year, refusing to play, even though he'd been drafted by the Nordiques. Eventually, the Nordiques are like, okay, let's just get something out of this deal. This kid, even if he does play for us, he's not going to try, even though he's considered he's going to be the next great hockey player. Uh, They struck a deal which was a very complicated deal where they had accidentally, I guess, negotiated with both the Rangers and the Flyers. And both teams ended up having to go through a legal dispute to see who got Eric Lindros. Lindros ends up going to the Flyers. 
in return for that, uh, they got a couple of draft picks and they got uh, Peter named Peter Forsberg, which I always thought was hilarious after this Eric Lindros fiasco, which he was never, even though I think he's Canadian, he was never popular in Canada because of this. He refused to play for a Canadian team. Uh, the team that traded him away because he wouldn't play for them ended up winning the Stanley Cup like three years later and Eric Lindros never won a Stanley Cup in his life. So kind of retribution for that. But uh, that's sort of playing on this here. So we got a whole bunch of like real hockey stories that they're working into the story here. Uh, and then we get... Um, probably the most over-the-top and most obvious Canadian reference in this here uh, is they've gone to the media here. I guess the media has picked up on this, uh, that um, the next person uh, who's going to be killed or whatever has to do with this uh, trade deal with the Wayne Gretzky was traded to Los Angeles. And we get a clear parody of Coach's Corner, which if you're not from Canada, we've talked about this a lot on The Brink and other things, but the highest-rated segment pretty much for decades in Canada was just a 10 minute segment that played in between the first and second periods on hockey night in Canada on Saturdays, which is coach's corner, a former NHL coach, Don Cherry, who's this huge personality, very opinionated, very obnoxious. He wore these loud suits. These, these, he would have custom made jackets who were very colorful and very loud and obnoxious looking, very controversial, but probably the most famous TV figure in history in Canada. Uh, he was recently fired for saying controversial things, but this is a direct parody on him here. But I don't even know if Mallory would have mentioned this to you, but the guy who's playing the very clear parody of Don Cherry named Tom Barry here on this parody of Coach's Corner, easily the most famous person in this movie, maybe the most famous yeah. Canadian on television, Rick Mercer. Yeah, well, I remember when we watched this, she straight away was like, hey, I know that guy. She's like, I think is yeah. he really, like, I think she at first thought, like, is he really a broadcaster? Because, like, I know him. And then I remember mm-hmm. looking him up. Um, well, she looked him up. And, yeah, straight away I was like, okay, yeah, I know who this guy is. So, yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's done several TV shows. Um, there's a TV show called This Hour has 22 minutes, which is probably the longest running comedy show in Canada. Uh Imagine like weekend update for Saturday Night Live, but it runs for a full half hour. So it's a full news broadcast parody of a news broadcast, but they'll play the entire thing out for over the course of half an hour. He got a spinoff of that called the Rick Mercer Report, which I guess the closest thing you can compare it to would be something like the Daily Show or the Colbert Report or things like that, except it's more emphasis just on the comedy. Um, If you had to pick like, you know, outside of Don Cherry, who's probably the most famous Canadian television star it would be rick mercer so it makes sense that they have him playing this don cherry character but he goes very over the top and i just found this funny because of what don cherry recently got fired for which was kind of just a very uh maybe slightly insensitive comment towards immigrants uh but the things rick mercer saying here is very much in line with a lot of the obnoxious controversial things don cherry would say and it's funny that in 2006 here Canadians just looked at this and said, oh, that's totally Don Cherry. And here we are 14 years later. And it's like, fire him. He said something way less controversial than that. Uh, but he's going very over the top with the you know shock TV uh, opinions, not just on hockey. But he's trying to draw out you know this story. And then the cops are off cameras. His guest is canceled. And uh, Ward and Bouchard are saying, no, no, don't talk about this or whatever. And it's like, well, my guest is canceled, so I'm going to talk about this. And they end up coming on as the guests, which is really funny. It almost turns into a very, very, very uh, straight comedy at this point here, Um, which, again, if you're Canadian, you're going to get a lot more of the references here when they make fun of his ugly ties, which is supposed to be like Don Cherry's ugly jacket. Um, And Bouchard and him don't get along at all. uh, And a caller ends up calling in here. Uh, in the middle of the intermission, in the middle of the the segment here, which identifies himself as the tattoo killer, as uh, Don Cherry-esque character that Rick Mercer's playing, 
has called him the tattooed killer. But it turns out it actually is him. So now you have him you know, on the air and Bouchard's trying to say, like, y- you call me or whatever. He gives up his phone number. A fight ends up happening, which I just think it looks hilarious that the fight is happening between Bouchard, Ward, and fake <laughs> Don Cherry here. Uh, and the serial killer is still talking the entire time. And in the background, they're not paying attention at all. They're just this massive fight on national television. Uh, after this is over, they're backstage, and the serial killer does call Bouchard up. Uh, they're trying to track the call or whatever. Um, we'll kind of... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Is this the best place to uh, stop here? No, because there's a chase scene that comes up here. Uh, okay, so they go uh, to, I guess, try to find this next victim or whatever. Uh, it leads them to the trunk of a limousine. In the limousine, there's a Zamboni driver. So like, oh, where's the Zamboni? It's down there. Leads to a brief chase here, uh, which, again, not huge for action, but it's action for this for a Canadian movie. It's a big action scene. It's just a chase scene. Uh, I don't know if you caught that there is a logo for Tom's, which is supposed to be it's, it's identical to the Tim Hortons logo, but it says I... Tom's on it. I, I saw I saw it like in the background, but I just I obviously wasn't paying attention. I just literally thought it was the Tim Hortons yeah. logo. So <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, the next clue is obviously something to do with New York, uh, which we don't know what it was. So we'll kind of stop it there after this chase scene, just as we're about to get into uh, uh, the really crazy stuff still to come. Um, have we mentioned that this is what meant to be all happening around the time? Is it meant to be the Stanley Cup basically that's happening, and somehow it's uh. Montreal and Toronto playing in the Stanley Cup. Yeah, which... they say something about. Um, I'm pretty sure that they do say something about the the, the finals or whatever, or an all Canadian final. Yeah, I do. I I do appreciate like um, with Bouchard how like obviously he's just a staunch Quebec fan of like the team that moved to Colorado, so he's just like dropping all these names and everything. And at one point, um, Ward's kind of like, "Oh well, if he was drafted first in like 1995, of course everyone would know him or something like that." Like mm. just the because isn't isn't Mustacha? Didn't he play like for them? Isn't that no that. No, the the guy who gets killed played was a goal goalie and played like six months for them or something like that because he was like, oh, where do I know that name from or something like that and that's where he drops mm-hmm. that comment. I do like the um the the scene in the house and kind of like the the torture stuff and then yeah you were you were begging for Bashar to get burnt even though he's yeah. hiding in a bath. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I, I also a little bit I like is like. It's just a again random scene when Bouchard sees all the little bobbleheads and he kind of is like banging on the bobbleheads yeah. and he just stands there <laughs> bobbling his head to side to side. Like, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. But it's kind of back to like the, the DJ man stuff earlier on. He's just like bobbling his head, just like blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's also that weird transition when they're outside the front of the house laughing and it kind of the background just like it transitions into the office. Like it's a it's a really yeah, editing like, technique. I think it was supposed to be showing like their mindset or whatever. I, I also like it when only, the way he goes to do it is he just gets his vent um his ventilator thing out his puffer. Yeah. Um. <laughs> also, I also appreciate the fact where you're like, oh, I haven't really done drugs or anything like that. Like, yes, Colin, when you breathe in uh, marijuana, you generally get high. Um. <laughs> well, I I wasn't again. I wasn't sure of like if the whole place is burning up, does it just dissipate like that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, y- you'd be yeah. Um. I mean, I took an Advil earlier this week, so I. <laughs> oh, look out. <laughs> Look out. I know what the effects of that are. <laughs> um, and also, is the writing of this movie, like, is it deliberately meant to be some sort of play on words for the names of people in this movie? 
because we have Mr. Grossbutt, right? Yeah. And then later on, yeah. the woman is Miss Flabcheeks. Yeah, I don't know about Flabcheeks, but uh, at, at, like Grossbutt, um, the character, I guess, only in reading this, I realized it was supposed to be about the owner of the Quebec Nordiques, whose name was Marcel Aubat. Uh, so they're like Grossbutt. And when we get to the the commissioner that one is a very obvious uh play on the name there but yeah i don't even know about the flab cheeks one who I just flab cheeks better, yeah flab cheeks and gross butt um <laughs> so also and i do love in, uh, yeah i i love the whole like the flashy editing around uh when you've got in the lead up to this don cherry like and guy and you've got the um sort of the, the footage of the hockey, the way they've edited it to be really fanciful around, like, not, you know, like, as you said, changing the logos. And I think if yeah. you kind of freeze frame some of them, you can kind of see that, like, oh, look, there's a Canadian's logo or something like that. So, uh, but it's still, it's, yeah, it's cleverly done the way they can kind of go around it and everything along those lines. There were one of my um, favourite lines, actually, I was just reading through my notes that I forgot from earlier on. I think it's when they first get in Bouchard's car and he lights up and this when they're going over the rules, like, oh, when we're in Quebec, we speak French and when we're in, you know, Ontario, we speak oh, English. Yeah. And he's like, he starts smoking and he's like, this is the smoking section of the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there's a, there's a line, um, God, what I'd, I've written here, some areas in New Brunswick, they make like a joke, like, oh, everywhere in Canada, oh, yeah. except for maybe some areas of New Brunswick. Like, what was that? Do you remember that line? I, I, I don't remember the line. I remember it standing out and being like, what was with the New Brunswick j- joke? But again, when I was reading up on the movie a little bit, that was another thing that was supposed to be an intentional joke, which I guess maybe people in New Brunswick would get. I don't know. All the, the New Brunswick fans were just cacking themselves. <laughs> Mildred New Brunswick was just like, ah, that's so funny. Um, yet I love this, the, the Don Cherry guy. I love his shirt. I just love the bright green shirt. It's so cool. But yeah, like, I love how this guy's just so pissed off that he's guest cancelled. It's like, well, I don't have a guest now, do I? Like, what am I meant to talk about? <laughs> um, just And just sits on, you know... Get some straight away on TV. Um, and, yeah, the chase, I was kind of hoping there was going to be a bit more around the Zamboni. Like, isn't it the first yeah. Deadpool when it's like, you're about to get run over by a Zamboni? <laughs> like, I wanted them to kind of have some, like, torture scene with the Zamboni in the middle of the Stanley Cup. Like, you remember, um, you've seen Sudden Death, the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, right? Where, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, you know, that I want something like that happening. That's a good movie. We should cover that movie one time. Um, <laughs> Van Damme one, coming soon. Game seven between the Blackhawks and the Penguins. Um, uh, you know, yep. Um, but yeah, now we're about to get, what, horny sister, aren't we? Like, because <laughs> yeah. apparently we need to have a sex scene in this movie. So let's just make our character's sister horny and he's completely fine with them fucking, apparently. Um... Yeah, because now we have to play the other side of that. So while uh, Bouchard's wife is really into Ward, uh, we're about to find out that Ward's Bouchard's sister is really, really into, into the sister. Literally. Who's Bouch- Bouchard's into the sister? Well, he's in this. It was a sex joke. Colin, move on. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I get it now. Okay. See, when a man loves uh, a woman. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, so... They've now got now that they're in Ontario, they've gone back to Ward's house now. Uh, and he gets introduced to his son and his sister, uh, who I guess is just the constant babysitter. Like, I don't know if she lives there or whatever, but she's just there again. Uh, and yeah, she's she's all over uh, Bouchard here. And, you know, we, we get 
the exact same scene when you know Ward is telling his very distinguished story, uh, and now we get the opposite where Bouchard's telling his very gritty story, and you know the son and the the aunt are very impressed by this. Uh, and of course, they just have to hook up with each other. I also should mention they didn't just completely drop the thing with Ward and the uh, the ex-wife uh, because when he was leaving the airport after that, he got kicked out. You know, uh, after the house blew up, uh, he said something about, "Yo, I'm gonna when I get home, I'm gonna let your ex-wife know. When I get home, I'm gonna email her." It's like you have your email. You emailing her now? Why are you talking? Why are you talking to my wife? <laughs> Jesus, uh, Annie's back. Yeah, yeah, that's the only accident I can do. Um, but uh, yeah, now it goes even further with this because uh, after everybody goes to bed, we get this back and forth uh, scene where uh, you're you're not seeing the faces right away, but you can clearly tell it's supposed to be Bouchard and uh, the the sister, and uh, they're getting it on. And then somebody's broken into the house, and there's a fight scene with Ward and this guy breaking into the house. And it just goes back and forth. And again, you don't see the face of the guy breaking in. And I remember the first time I saw this, because um, <laughs> we think Mustacha is dead. That's what the reveal here is. The guy who's fighting with Ward is Mustacha. Uh, but because this is just going back and forth with the editing, like you have a fight scene and then you have a sex scene and they're taking place at the exact same time. And then when they have the reveal that it's actually Mustacha, because they were only very discreetly showing the sex scene you you could if you're looking closely you could see that it was bouchard and and the ant uh i remember thinking like is this guy i I wasn't sure if that was a sex scene or not like is the sister having sex with the mustache (laughs) hang on you weren't you weren't sure if this was a sex scene or not i wasn't sure yeah Um, Um, i thought how i wasn't sure i thought maybe the (laughs) I thought maybe the fight scene was the sex scene and that the sex scene was the fight scene. That's why so the son enters the room and joins in in the sex scene. <laughs> Meanwhile, the woman revealing her breasts is actually... Yeah. <laughs> That's a fight. <laughs> you really don't know sex, do you? Uh... <laughs> Can we get Jamie on the line here but... to find out again how you had three children? <laughs> I just, I'm confused. You don't, you don't know how you get stoned from smoke and now all of a sudden you're like... <laughs> So there was a naked woman, but were they having sex? I don't know. The sun walked in and just, I, I, I got confused. Think about how confused I am. <laughs> I mean, you've been confused for a long time, my friend. Again, you've got children. <laughs> you've had sex at least twice in your life, Colin Hildy. I just don't know if you knew how it worked. <laughs> this joke died about two years ago, but I think we need to bring it up again. It's all been about Noah not getting dates, but I mean, I'm sure Noah knows where to put it in the other part and distinguishes between you know that bit in parasite when he starts like feeling a breast that that was them having sex you know that right <laughs> i thought it's a fight scene <laughs> Bruh. clearly can you imagine like mine and, mine and jamie's wedding night she's like, okay colin it's sex time now and i just put her in a headlock colin what are you doing <laughs> you know in titanic when they're in the car and it's all steamy and they're naked that they had Best sex fight scene ever <laughs> Um, have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? Uh, <laughs> Very violent movie. <laughs> you'd, you'd be flicking cable channel to the adult channel like, oh, look at these people. They're all fighting. Look at them all. I, I've never seen a porno in my life except for the John Wick trilogy. That's all I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and everything on Jamie's computer. <laughs> What's this? Menhunks.com. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Why are they not wearing pants as well as shirts? Nothing. They're fighting, Colin. They're fighting. <laughs> so she's 
brainwashed you. She's legit. She legitimately like on 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 Valentine's Day, Colin. You want to fight? <laughs> and when we did conceive our children, I'm like, one of us is going to jail for domestic violence. That was just terrible. It's okay. You did the right thing. Have a lollipop and don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Mummy's pregnant now. <laughs> But back to what I was meaning to say, because we have a sex scene and a fight scene literally happening at the same time, <laughs> and they have the same, you know, lighting and everything, they're happening literally in the same house, or I guess they're not supposed to be the same house, but uh, it looks like it's the same environment and everything. You can't tell which one is which half the time, especially because it's a very violent sex scene. I just, I'm just digging my own grave. <laughs> I like, I'm usually the one who doesn't pick up on like, you know stylish things that they're trying to do in movies. I mean, apparently I didn't get Parasite, but here I am clearly able to witness two people having intercourse while two other people are having a fight. I can see the difference. I mean, there's also a bald man who's a bit uptight from Ontario mixed with two other people who one's from French. And then literally, so there's this scene where she's naked and riding him and she's like, free Quebecois, free Quebecois. That's not a fight. She's having fun in sex. <laughs> In sex, Colin, sex. Wow. Um, we're going to have to recap a bunch of our movies over again because I just got a whole new perspective on all of Arnold Schwarzenegger's filmography. <laughs> we need to have, like, just the adult month featuring Eyes Wide Shut, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Colin's going to be so confused. <laughs> Action month with Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> <laughs> What I'm trying to say again <laughs> is that the reveal of who's having sex and who's in the fight scene happens literally at the same time. So when all of a sudden you're seeing a guy pin somebody against the wall and then you see a guy pin a woman against a wall and then you see the woman pin a guy against the wall and you see the other guy pin a guy against the wall and then they take off the mask and they reveal Mustacha. I thought the first time <laughs> I saw this that the sister was having sex. I, I don't I don't <laughs> understand. Okay. I hope people get what I'm saying here. I, I don't understand how you made it through 24 Bond films and we counted intimate encounters. Every single time we did one of those movies, you're probably going, wait, what do you mean they had sex? That was a fight. Now we know why the count was so off, okay? And then, and then, like, when we watched The Room with, like, the most awkward sex scenes in the world, you just think that Tommy Wiseau <laughs> is just having, like, a map, you know, he's punching up on, <laughs> you know, just having a fight all the time. I'm going to hope that people understand what I'm saying because I'm going to shut up now. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyways, Mustacha <laughs> is alive. They have a very long speculation as to how he's alive too. I also love that uh, Ward is so inept in a sex scene. Uh, <laughs> that is sad to say. <laughs> oh my god! Fight scene. I understand it's a fight scene. Just anyways. Um. The son comes in and he saves him from Mustacha and the fight. And uh, then the son likes to tell everybody, are you guys okay when they go in? They're like, yeah, it was Mustacha. And, or I don't know why he's French now, too. Uh, <laughs> it was Mustacha. He's alive. And it's like, are you guys okay? Yeah, I saved dad's life. <laughs> he's just telling everybody he saved his dad's life. Um, and as you mentioned, yeah, during the sex scene, the uh, uh, the translation, long live a free Quebecer. Vive le Quebec libre! <laughs> he's making her scream that in sex. Um Six. And, uh, yeah, when he said, I love it also when the son says, I saved dad's life. He goes, was it a cardiac arrest while watching curling on TV? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like um, a man with brooms. Then, 
they 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 call the coroner, and uh, the coroner now identifies the body uh, was not Mustacha. It was a woman. Her name was Rita, whatever, and. Uh, they realized this was the barmaid, so this was the one who was hitting on Ward Not earlier the bar on. Barmaid, <laughs> and, and there's a very convoluted explanation here for something that the audience has already picked up. Because every time we see this killer, it's clearly a different person. That's obvious to the audience. Uh, the characters haven't figured that out yet. They think this is one serial killer, but the way that they write it in the reveal of how this is multiple people, like I don't know if they needed to be. She was. Uh, I think it's uh, so. He was in the trunk of a car, and it took us this long to drive to the ballet recital. But we were only in the ballet recital for 20 minutes. And we come back out, and he's gone, and the barmaid is in the trunk. But it would have taken him that long to get back there. So unless he were to do this and fly back there and teleport himself, and blah, 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 then, and I was like, then he must have had a second person. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, the audience figured that out already. They probably could have just been like, wait, there must have been more people, but they have to give a 20-minute long monologue to explain that there must have been another person there. Um, and uh, since Ward's family was just attacked, now Bouchard's going to call home to you know find out his family. His wife's like, you woke me up in the middle of the night uh, just to go check on our daughter. We'll go check on Gabrielle. They check and she's not there. Uh, so as he's on the phone with his wife, and I, I love the performance that Patrick Ward has here too where he's... Uh, uh, still on the phone, he's realized his wife's gone, and Ward's in the background, and all he hears is, like, the screaming of the wife. So he knows what's going on. And Bouchard's just, like, completely still. He's got the phone to his ear. He's not blinking. He's not moving. He's doing nothing. And then another call's coming in the background. It's just such a well-laid-out scene. And Ward's taking a scene, and it's the serial killer now. It's like, oh, it's not Bouchard. Put Bouchard on the phone. <laughs> so Bouchard's on the phone, and he's like, I have your daughter here. So now we realize this is the whole setup. Uh, you know, the, the daughter's been kidnapped, so they need to get him. Um, we also find out that the next target is going to be Mr. Butman. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, obviously if you're in Canada, you're going to know this is supposed to be Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the NHL. Uh, I don't know how many other people would get that outside of Canada, but this is such an obvious thing here. Gary Bettman is also a very short man. So in here, they have to hire an actor who's literally four feet tall to play Gary Bettman, uh, or Gary Butman or whatever he's supposed to be. Uh, and this is where I think... Uh, it's it's interesting, but also kind of weird because the movie from this point on, it reminded me a lot of Ace Ventura. Well, we're going to do a sports yes. story, but and it's so over the top, like the killer's motivation. It's almost like laces out. <laughs> <laughs> They're trading Canadians. They're Finger selling on. a team. <laughs> like it, it feels so ridiculous. But this just shows, I guess, one of Canadians' hypocrisies because they'll often look at Americans as being like, oh, you know, they're so violent, they're so angry, they're so this and that. You know, they take their sports way too seriously. And yet here in Canada, like when you watch this movie, this isn't a comedy. Like it is a comedy, but the premise of a serial killer killing people involved in the NHL because they've traded Canadian players or are transferring Canadian teams to American cities – like, this is playing on Canadians' real angers, and even though it's a comedy, like, you could tell by the way this movie is played out, they're like, it's funny, but it's also serious, you know? And we, we really want to like, do this. We are actually really annoyed. <laughs> that, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I feel like any Canadian watching this, especially because they are taking very cheap shots, like, it feels weird if you're watching this and you know who they're making fun of, but maybe you're not Canadian. I, I think that this would this would be like... Man, they're really going over the top here. Like this, this—it's like Ace Ventura, you know, where the commissioner has to be, 
you know, a four foot tall man and it has to be like this over the top Texan. Yeehaw, we're bringing your Canadian team to Texas, you know, <laughs> uh, but yet the movie plays it so straight, even though it is still playing it for laughs. It's not like, uh, oh, well, it, it should have been a joke. But I feel like you could take this exact same script and make it like a Jim Carrey Ace Ventura movie and you wouldn't have to change a word of it. But the way that the director is sort of like, I'm going to make this a serious comedy, not because we take sports that seriously, because you could play it either way. I actually really like that this is played more seriously than it is, but it's still fun because nobody's going to go this far. But yet, if you heard one day that there was some serial killer who was doing this, it wouldn't surprise us. You know? <laughs> so the the revelation here that, that it's obviously all hockey connected uh, it sounds so stupid, but when you watch the movie, they, they play it in a, in a, a little bit more of a believable way. Um, so Ward and Bouchard break into – now they've both completely lost respect for the rules. They break into the NHL commissioner's office just as he's he's about to hold a press conference. Uh, he's talking on the phone with the new owner in Texas where they're, I guess, supposed to move the Montreal team. And um, uh, they just put a bag over his head. So they're essentially kidnapping – the NHL commissioner. And then they hijack the press conference, which is great. Uh, and uh, we see a, a mascot. I guess it's supposed to be Montreal Canadiens mascot here, which is just a great... The fact do, that do the henchman the in Montreal, this movie is a mascot. Do you know What's the Montreal that? Canadiens mascot? Have you, do you you know what he looks like? Because he looks nothing like this. No. Well, I was going to say, yeah, this is not the mascot. It's supposed to be, though... Uh, I'm guessing this it, the, in this movie, it's supposed to be the Montreal mascot or whatever. But uh, it, it's they're obviously taking liberties here. But uh, just the fact that your henchman is a mascot for most of this last act of the movie. Well, it's uh, the same I think as Sudden is... Death. They, the woman in that dresses up as the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins mascot in that, if you remember that. Yeah, like you, it's it's just a staple. If you're doing a movie involving hockey, you've got to include a mascot who has violent tendencies or something like that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so this mascot, the audience realizes because he's practicing in the mirror the speech from Taxi Driver, <laughs> are you talking to me or whatever, uh, and they've got Buttman and they hijack the uh, the press conference or whatever, and um, uh, they even ended, of course, again, taking a lot of cheap shots here at uh, the NHL and uh, the commissioner of the NHL when Ward's announcing that the, the press conference is canceled. It says, they, I think one of the reporters says something about, you know, uh, is this, you know, because we're French or something? He goes, it's not just the French. I just don't think he likes Canadians, period. And he just walks away. And I can imagine if you saw this in the theater, probably just gotten massive applause or whatever. Uh, we get the henchman mascot who is struggling to get down the stairs because of his big over the top feet, which looks hilarious. Uh, we get, um, uh, I guess, off-screen Bouchard and Ward have sort of clued in this mascot is not who it appears to be. And um, uh, as he is about to go into an elevator after this very elaborate, you know, uh, comical walk down the stairs, the elevator door is open. They both punch the mascot in the face. Uh, so now they show up at the um, the hideout or whatever after a phone call with the, the tattoo killer. Uh, they want to exchange Bouchard's daughter for the mascot, uh, and also for Butman, who they threw in the trunk of a car. <laughs> uh, and, and I think there's a line here. I'm trying to remember uh, what that line was, where he says something about uh, it, it's it's this is obviously a Quebec tradition, where he throws him the trunk of the car. Did you catch that line? No, no. Uh, I'll find it. It's in my notes here somewhere. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, so they finally meet down with the tattoo killer. And it's not some big revelation. This is why I, when I kind of go back, like, I don't know, maybe I missed something in the movie each time I've seen this. But when they go 
to the original scene and the guy takes off the mask and he says to him, well, I tried to help you. Is that supposed to be this killer? Or is that supposed to be Mustacha because Mustacha had some hockey connection? Uh, the latter. All right, let's guess that. Uh, because <laughs> nobody, and he's got no, you know, nothing distinguishing about his face or anything like that. He's just a nobody. He even says I, uh, when they basically have the standoff, the gun to the daughter's head and the gun to uh, Mustacha mascot's head. Uh, he says he's nobody. He he shoots himself, in fact, and he says he's nobody. He's just some guy I found on the internet. Uh, but the tattoo killer it gives this big rant about, you know, they're selling Canada to the United States or whatever. And um, uh, Bouchard has to give up his gun or whatever. Uh, and uh, we get a bit of a shootout here. Uh, we have the killer, the tattoo killer running away now. And uh, the bigger problem is Gabrielle's got a bomb strapped to her chest. So uh, Bouchard doesn't know what to do with this. Uh, Ward comes in and he reveals he did the bomb squad before he, you know, his wife left him or whatever. And he's able to defuse this bomb. It's kind of fun that uh, you you have this staple of these movies. I mean, this is straight out of the opening scene of Lethal Weapon 3, you know, red wire, blue wire, whatever. And in the end, he it's a little bit more realistic than that. He's like, okay, that's a booby trap. That's a booby trap. That's a booby trap. All right. So you just need to pull these two wires at the same time. He pulls it out and it doesn't stop at like the count of one or two like you typically get. It's like a 33. So uh, <laughs> they, they kind of play into that stereotype of play against it here. Um, now it's like, we got to go after the tattoo killer. Uh, Ward, you should go. I'm going to stay with my daughter. No, you go because Ward can't win in a fight. We've learned that already. Um, so, uh, there's the fight scene, uh, after a quick chase here, um, they run out of bullets. The, there's, uh, as the tattoo killer is trying to get away, his car flips over. Um, they try shooting the trunk of the car. Uh, Ward leaves the girl there. There's another fight scene now with Ward and the the killer. During the fight scene, the audience obviously picks up on the fact that there's this beeping and he's reaching into the killer's pocket. Uh, eventually, he lets the killer run away and uh, Bouchard's about to kill him and he's saying, don't kill him, he's not worth it. And then he's aiming again. It's like, no, don't kill him. Trust me, all good things come to those who wait. And so they let him leave and he's like, you put the bomb in his pocket, didn't you? Yeah, and they just keep watching. It's really funny how long goes on where they're just waiting for this bomb to explode as you see this guy just getting smaller and smaller in the distance. And then he's like, that guy can really run, can he? <laughs> and eventually, bomb goes off. He blows up. They leave Buttman in the trunk of the car as he's like, oh, pop, get me out or whatever. And they just sort of Mickey walk Mouse. away, you know, walking off. In the, yeah, <laughs> It's like Kenny from South Park. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we get the traditional buddy cop thing, walking off into the sunset or whatever. Cuts to credits, and then we get the bonus scene. Butman is back, and he's holding a press conference, which, again, just taking a cheap shot and, you know, something for all Canadians to be like, yeah, you show him, uh, where he's like, I'm here to make an announcement that never again will any Canadian team ever be moved to America. This is now an official rule, and uh, everybody applauds, and that's the end of the movie. Uh, bon cop, bad cop. Great movie. Great ending. <laughs> And there was sex in it. Um, <laughs> is this tattoo killer guy, is that Rick Devins? Is it Rick Devins? Um, no, I can kind of see the resemblance now that you mention it, though. <laughs> like, it's either Rick Devins or Jared the Subway guy. Um, and... 
I, I got the subway guy thing. That I, I definitely saw a resemblance there. But now you mentioned Rick Devins. Uh, yeah, I can see the resemblance between Devins and Subway Guy too. But I, 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 when I watched that season, I was this Survivor reference for those who don't know it. But um, yeah, I, as soon as I saw Rick Devins, I'm like, holy crap, that's the Jared the Subway guy. He's out of jail. Uh, he made it on Survivor. Good for him. Um, yeah, I, I again, I love when he goes to his sister's room and she's just walking around in a bra and panties just having sex with sex Colin um and they're just like seemingly okay like even like when they're at the um even when they're having dinner uh basically Ward is kind of like oh he wants to have sex with you and just like rolls his eyes like I mean you know like it's very casual family um yeah, the, uh, it kind of takes a bit of a dark turn, though, when he, like, calls up, uh, when Bouchard calls up his ex-wife, and it's like, where is Gabrielle? Where is Gabrielle? And then it kind of, this dark music, then you realise that, like, you know, she's been kidnapped. Um, but then it also it, it concludes very quickly, doesn't it? Kind of like he has a bit of a cry with his ex-wife, uh, and then they show up, there's this press conference. It's, it's not called the Stanley Cup, it's called the Memorial Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, I, I do love how, like, there's this press conference, because, again... As a journalist, generally you go to one of these press conferences and there's obviously been a lot of whispers going on out there that Montreal is about to be moved to Houston. So clearly everyone there is going to be cluing into the fact that this must be the official announcement, which is also happening in the middle of the Stanley Cup. Um, So, like, I can't imagine that Montreal would not be very angry about this. I mean, God, you guys riot when you lose the Stanley Cup. What happens when you lose a team? Uh, And this is Montreal. Win the Stanley Cup too. Montreal. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so, you know, they're, they're all very calm in Montreal <laughs> for the fact that they're about to lose their team. I did like that line though, when he's like, you know, oh, is it, does he hate it just cause we're French? No, it's like, no, I think he hates all Canadians. Yeah. Um, the Montreal mascot is a mascot called Yuppie or Yuppie. And it's essentially a bearded, redheaded, ginger looking man with the, <laughs> like Google the Montreal Canadians mascot. It's kind of like. One of these ones that you can't unsee once you've seen it. Um, Gritty still is better. Oh, dear God! (laughs) (laughs) And it's not just Yuppie. It's Yuppie with an exclamation mark. The exclamation mark is part of his name. Yuppie! (laughs) Yuppie! I love Colin's reaction. Oh, dear God! (laughs) What is that? What is he having sex? Um... It kind (laughs) of... It kind of looks like... um... Uh, oh, what is that? Uh, I don't know. If if Bert from Sesame Street had a fight scene or a sex scene or whatever it is with, <laughs> oh, the, with the, the prospector guy from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've never seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed but I know what, I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, now, yeah, now you can't unsee that now, people. <laughs> but I do love this guy as a mascot, like... He's the worst undercover person because these kids come up to him and just play along with it, mate. Like, don't just like, oh, fuck off, kids. Um, and then I love it when he's, like, following Ward. Or is it Bashar? No, he's following Ward. And he kind of, Ward turns around, he waves, and then he starts doing, like, this wacky walk. Like, like I'm a mascot. <laughs> I'm a mascot. <laughs> That's that what mascots say, I'm right? I'm a mascot. <laughs> That, that, that's what Yuppie says, right? Like, oh, hey, I'm a mascot. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the whole climax kind of just comes and goes pretty quickly, doesn't it? Like, they're at a at a shipyard. Rick Devins is in a goal. Um, <laughs> he has a daughter. 
then he like blows up. But I mean, it, it really is one of these kind of bad guy motives where I think at the end of the day, every Canadian's kind of rooting for the bad guy. Like it's 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 an odd like obviously we don't want Gabrielle to die because she's a daughter and we can't kill the child, but it's still just like you know I, I I'm surprised that Bouchard isn't kind of like yeah I'm with you like. Dude, kill him. <laughs> like, he's a prick. Yeah. <laughs> he's still in our teams away. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of fun. I, that's I do... what they have to be. Like, honestly, that's the reason they make it the daughter in the end. Because even when you get to the press conference, like, they don't care about Butman at all. And they're even mocking it in the press conference. Like, they almost would be rooting for the killer. So the only way that you could get them to catch the bad guy in this movie is to have him kidnap a family member. Otherwise, I mean, they're, they're totally going along with his plan. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of these movies where I think kind of, you know, I mean, it's good when you kind of got that motivation, but you need to be, I think, 50-50 either way. But yeah, as I said, yeah, Canadians definitely are on this, the tattoo killer's side here. Um, and yeah, it just kind of ends. I, I, I like, what does, what does Rick Devon say when he blows up? When he's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me or something yeah. like that. And he just like blows up. It's very, um, you sort of mentioned about Ace Ventura references. Time to bring up uh, one of Ben Waterworth's 50 greatest movies of all time, Eddie. Uh, where basically, at the end of what that is movie. What with Eddie? Where, where, you've seen Eddie, right? Yeah, I saw it. It didn't leave a lasting impression on me. <laughs> Watch it again. Because, like, the big thing. <laughs> The big thing at the end of that movie is that um, the the owner of the Knicks, the new owner, is going to move the team to St. Louis. So, of course, they have, like, a big thing where all the crowd stand on the court at Madison Square Garden and they're all like, no, you're not taking this team. And then he's all like, ah, oh, no, I wasn't really. And then there's all the o- the people who are going to buy it, move to St. Louis. You've got this owner guy basically going like, oh, do you guys like hockey? Are you interested in hockey at all? Um, so it's kind of, you know, got a bit of vibes in that, but there's no murders going on and Ace Ventura is a good movie too we need to watch that that's that's yeah, yeah. anything Jim Jim Carrey month why hasn't it happened but um yeah and that's the the movie and uh, did you the credits are weird because the credits are going the other direction is that a Canadian thing no I think that's just a Bond cop bad cop thing because <laughs> like uh, that's like this very I've never seen credits kind of what going down instead of up before it's it's strange I, I honestly didn't even notice that. So maybe it is a Canadian thing. Maybe it is a Canadian thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, so Bond Cop, Bad Cop. Um, it's important to understand the year this comes out in as well to understand like the success of this. Because the movie that we're going to be covering in a few weeks, Men with Brooms, was pretty much the only really commercially successful Canadian movie of this decade up until that point. Like 2006 – there was like one big hit Canadian movie. Maybe a couple others are like moderate hits. But um, this comes out the year where there was a, a big push to make some commercial movies. Uh, the two big ones were Trailer Park Boys, which is probably the most popular Canadian show of this time period. Uh, and a show that was very popular even outside of Canada as well. Uh, the show had ended and they made a, a movie. So it was like a big screen movie version of a TV show, like when they did an X-Files movie or a Sex in the City movie or something like that. And, okay, this is going to save Canadian you know, cinema. This is going to start bringing some box office dollars in. At the same time, they made a big budget, uh, very classy biopic of one of the most famous hockey players of all t- time, Maurice uh, the Rocket Richard, called The Rocket, that also was expected that year. This is going to revive Canadian box office. And sort of in between these two movies, Bon Cop, Bad Cop comes out, which was really only released in, you know, uh, I don't know, Quebec mostly, but a couple of theaters across Canada. And the overall gross of it being $12 million, 
would be the equivalent of $112 million, basically, if this were in America. So imagine a movie making more than $100 million. That's a big deal for a Canadian movie, whereas The Rocket and Trailer Park Boys did decent business, but it wasn't like this massive hit. Putting it even more into perspective, of the $12.7 million or whatever that this movie made, uh, I think over 10 of that million, so we're talking the majority of it, 80 90 percent of its gross was only in quebec now this movie was still fairly well received outside of canada like i said i knew about it right away other people watched it knew about it but the amount of success it had was so huge in quebec this had happened one time before uh there was a movie that came out i think it was like 2002 or something like that called seraphim heart of stone which was a completely french lang- uh, language movie kind of a period love story movie imagine gone with the wind with zero budget um and <laughs> That movie made something like $9 million or the equivalent of, let's say, $90 million only in Quebec. Uh, and then this blows that away. Uh, but just keep in mind the amount of population. I mean, Quebec makes up 25% of Canada's population. So if we do the math on this, this making the equivalent of $100 million just in Quebec, imagine if a movie made $400 million in one state in the United States because hmm. it's – $10 million in Quebec alone is like making $400 million in one province. So this in Quebec was like Avengers Endgame level box office success. This is the type of thing that would have been sold out every single night for months or every moment it played in theaters. Goes on to become the uh, beating Porky's is the highest grossing uh, domestic Canadian film of all time. Um, other Canadian movies, I guess also put in perspective, similar to what you talked about with Australia, you know, to qualify as a Canadian film, even the, the, the Genie Awards, which was the Canadian Film Awards, um, to qualify for that, you have to either be a full Canadian production or a Canadian co-production. Uh, there are Canadian directors, like James Cameron is Canadian, but makes American movies. That's not going to qualify. Um, whereas a movie like, the, have you ever heard of A History of Violence with Viggo Mortensen? Yes. Yeah, History of Violence was made by a Canadian director, David Cronenberg, but it wasn't a Canadian-produced movie, whereas his next movie, Eastern Promises, uh, which also had Viggo Mortensen, that was a Canadian production and Canadian-directed movie, so that qualifies. Uh, So there are movies that are sort of co-productions, too, like the movie Room that Brie Larson won the Oscar for a couple years ago. That was sort of between Canada and another country produced it. There was a movie called Brooklyn that came out a couple years ago that nominated for Best Picture, also Canadian and another, I think, Ireland co-production. Those often get grouped in as Canadian movies, but they're not complete. For a completely Canadian, 100% Canadian movie to make this much money, completely unheard of. Uh, as far as uh, critical response goes, um, I mean, it's it's hard to actually find what the reviews are, because I think Rotten Tomatoes only has nine reviews for this. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes obviously primarily going to be using you know uh, American critics or whatever. And uh, for what it does have, I mean, 78% of Rotten Tomatoes, so really good reviews. Um, awards, though, uh, this is the d- other difference between you know Canadian and American movies. In America, they just make so many movies and have so much money to throw into the movie budgets that you know you you can't really have the big budget movies don't get we talk about this all the time for black panther to get an oscar nomination was unheard of uh you don't get that so much in canada because if we have a really fun movie like bon cop bad cop 
that can get a Best Picture nomination for the Genies, or now it's called the Canadian Screen Awards. Uh, Bong Cop, Bad Cop actually won Best Picture that year for the Genies. And it had, you know, uh, other commercial movies like Rocket and Trailer Park Boys were also nominated in there. Um, but it only won two awards. It won Best Picture and Best Sound. Every other one went to the Rocket, the hockey biopic that came out that year. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's fun sometimes to watch the Canadian Screen Awards because you usually only hear of two or three movies that are in there. But if there is a really successful, fun movie like this, they don't have a problem giving a Best Picture nomination. And I think that's fair because a lot of times people will say, why doesn't a movie like Lethal Weapon get more consideration for awards? Because for its genre – it was a, a masterpiece for its genre. Or you get that often with comedies. Like people say all the time, you know, how come if you make a comedy, you're written off and you can't get nominated? It took Jim Carrey how many tries? I mean, still no Oscar nomination. And he he only gets considered even if it's a drama. But why shouldn't Jim Carrey get nominated if it's a comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it takes more. It, it takes just as much talent, if not more, to do a comedy. Uh, so this ends up winning uh, after 10 nominations, wins only two awards, but one of them being Best Picture. Um, plot keywords, it'll take me a second to find them here. Just quickly, um, while you're searching for them. Feel free I to f- cut in. Well, I, I don't really have a lot to add on anything you're saying there, but um, I found an article on Wikipedia, Cinema of Canada, and there's a movie called My Winnipeg, which, are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's a very big movie here. Yeah, I'm just I'm just reading here about it, a docu fantasia that melds personal mm-hmm. history, civic tragedy, tragedy, and mysterious mystic big words here. Um, it's a, a surrealist <laughs> mockumentary about Winnipeg. <laughs> Is that just mm-hmm. everyday life yeah. to you guys though, or ooh, we live in Winnipeg, eh? Uh- no, I mean it, it's a good movie. Uh, what was impressive about that again? It didn't make a ton of money, but. This movie got a lot of acclaiming outside of Canada. I remember, I don't think it got nominated for an Oscar, but there were other, like, uh, critics. When you get, like, the big critics awards at the end of the year, a lot of, like, very prominent critics were placing this on their top ten lists, even in America, you know, after seeing My Winnipeg. Um, The director, he pretty much only makes movies here in Winnipeg, but he does a lot of very experimental stuff. Uh, He actually, uh, I think his last movie was, um, uh, he made a remake of, not a remake, uh, I'll call it a remake, but the Alfred Hitchcock movie Vertigo, but he only used archival footage from other movies. So he would find whatever he could. If it was an old document from the 60s, he may recreate a scene out of Vertigo just doing that. So he's a very clever director, Um, uh, Guy Madden, I think. Uh, But yeah, that's probably his most famous movie. But yeah, Winnipeg, very famous. One of the most famous Canadian movies, My Winnipeg. My Winnipeg, what a movie. All right, sorry, yes, keywords. Um, Have we found any? Uh, I'm still looking. Uh, I, do you find any plot keywords? Um, I found them. Uh, but I mean, repetition in title month, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure if if that is a is a great one to go on. <laughs> um, yeah, shot in the chest month, punched by two people month. Here we go. Oh, uh, that that could be a good one. Oh, the only one on there is bon cop bad cop. So we've done it. Uh, <laughs> ice hockey. Here we go. Ice Hockey Month. What have we got here? Uh, Champions, uh, a.k.a. the Mighty Ducks, um, which is called Champions in this side of the world. Uh, Inside Out, is there ice hockey in Inside? I've never seen Inside Out, Um, apparently. Uh, The Death of Stalin, never seen it. Didn't know there was ice hockey in that. Uh, um, And Manchester by the Sea, does that... So, hang on. So, Inside Out, The Death of Stalin and Manchester by the Sea are ahead of D2, the Mighty Ducks, Slapshot... 
Uh, Miracle, uh, D3, the, Miracle's not even in the top 10. Uh, Miracle's number what? 18. <laughs> <laughs> what the actual hell? Um, yes, I mean, Encino Man, does that have ice hockey in it? Uh, I'm trying to remember. The Love Guru oh, is only number once... 30. <laughs> well, good. Mystery uh, Alaska, I've seen that. That's a good movie. Oh, great movie. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, this hockey's all over this movie. Uh, Sudden so Death is only 47th. Canadian Bacon, 49th. Weapon... Where's Lethal Weapon 3? Has that got ice hockey in it, does it? It's got, like, one scene of hockey. I'm guessing it was going to be in the top 10 with one scene. Uh, no, it's not. It's not even on this list. Uh. I mean, Happy Gilmore should be on this list, shouldn't it? Uh, it is, number yeah, 12. Well, yeah. I mean, he's a hockey player right. that turns to golf. Anyway, isn't that isn't this fun? We're learning about hockey. Um, what else is in this? Um, road sign month. Oh, here we go, Colin. Sex is a key word. Sex month. Uh, bombshell number one. Friends number two. <laughs> Mad Men number three. And How to Get Away with Murder number four. The Mentalist See, is How apparently... to Get Away with Murder. I'm not the only one who gets violence and fight scenes confused. How is The Mentalist number five? I didn't think that was about sex. Um, <laughs> bar fight, ballet, cannabis month. French, okay, here we go. French month. Uh, the King is number one. The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, what? what? The Revenant? No, is Leonardo DiCaprio just French and we don't know about Django Unchained, number four? <laughs> Phantom Thread is eight. Um, yeah, okay. So Late Miz is not on there. Late Miz. Every movie Leonardo DiCaprio movie you is. You know what is on there, Colin Hilding? Blue is the warmest colour at number 18. <laughs> Come on now. You would not get that movie. Uh, <laughs> I know I wouldn't. Why way are they naked much. and rolling on top of each other? They're fighting. Yeah, <laughs> way too much fighting. Um, only other thing to really mention on uh, Bon Cop, Bad Cop is, uh, I mean, this movie was such a big hit that, uh, of course, it spawned a sequel, but they waited almost 10 years for the sequel to come out. Sequel came out uh, two or three years ago, Bon Cop, Bad Cop Part 2. Um, it's a really good movie. I saw it uh, a couple of years ago, and then I just started rewatching it. This afternoon, it's definitely not as good as the first, uh, but it's it's different because obviously they're not meeting for the first time. But um, maybe we can cover that in a future month. You get some of your favorite random characters back, like uh, Ward's son and <laughs> Bouchard's wife and daughter. Yes. Uh, and it plays a little bit more on the differences with U.S. and Canada than the first one, and it involves a lot of cars, uh, very fast and furious, like like that. But uh, anyways. Uh, what are we going to do with this movie? We're going to buy it, rent it, bin it. Um, I'll let you go first, Ben, because I picked this movie, so it's pretty clear why I'm, what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to buy it. I enjoy it. I think it's definitely a movie that you can just kind of put on and enjoy. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, we're so focused in modern movies now of, you know, they've got to do something different. And I always seem to read reviews when a movie is just played by, you know, paint by numbers and kind of very formulaic that people seem to hold that against the movie in 2020. Mm. Whereas this is a very formulaic movie. It's very, you know, standard movie what you get. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I don't think you have to break ground with every single movie you see. Like, there's nothing wrong with just a, a flat-out mm. fun movie. And this is one of those movies. So, yeah, I it makes me want to see the second one. Uh, I'm glad I watched this a couple of years ago. I think I would have enjoyed this if this was still the first time I'd seen it. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm buying this movie. I'm obviously buying it too. I recommended for one of my two Canadian picks here. Um, but I agree with everything you said. I mean, it's, it's a formulaic movie. It, it's, 
it's rare, especially in a Canadian movie, to not have somebody just being so art house and so intellectual where they'll just make a fun movie. Because typically, if you're just going to make a fun movie, it's going to turn out as a, a kid's movie like Air Bud. Uh, but here, let's make an action comedy, a buddy cop movie. But it puts it a very distinct Canadian spin on it. But I don't feel like this is something that only Canadians would get. A lot of the in-jokes you probably would. But uh, to me, this feels a lot like Lethal Weapon or Bad Boys. Um, a little bit smarter, though. I think the, the one thing I'll give this movie a lot of credit for is the, the script is very smart. The jokes you have are not what you'd necessarily expect. It's very clever. Uh, the plot's pretty formulaic, but that is a good thing. And uh, I would have no problem defending a movie like Lethal Weapon or Bad Boys or Rush Hour even You know, to people who say, oh, that's just you know a, a stupid buddy cop film. No, there are dumb buddy cop movies, and then there are good ones, and I think this is one of the good ones. Well, we're doing one in a few weeks, aren't we? Uh, when we get to the sort of our Bond parody month, well, Bond parody mm-hmm. three weeks. I spy. I mean, I, I guess it's not really a buddy cop movie as such. It's more of a spy movie. Oh. But yeah, like it's kind of, you know, I'm with you. Like, I mean, I love the Rush Hour movies. I think I, from memory, I had that in my top 50 and mm-hmm. I could just watch them to death. I absolutely love them. And it's been, I do love Lethal Weapon. I have seen them all. It's just been a long time since I, you know, rewatched the Lethal Weapons. But one was on TV the other night and I was just, I was like, oh, fuck, Lisa Webb 3 is on. I'm just going to, you know, watch the final 20 minutes of it or whatever it is. Oh, uh, so, Renee Russo. Uh, <laughs> not in our month, but, uh, you know, <laughs> stay tuned. Renee Russo month. So, yeah, no, like, I, I, Buddy Cop films are good. Mo- I like Buddy Cop movies. And, yeah, just there's no harm in having just a movie like this. It's fine and it's enjoyable. Uh, so what's coming next, Ben? Yeah, uh, now we're moving over to Australia tomorrow. <sighs> Well, you look at the iconic... I've just put up a list here of the top 10 highest grossing Australian films of all time. And pretty iconic movies on this list. Crocodile Dundee, of course. Uh, Australia, I know you don't like that movie, but I enjoy it. Babe, very popular movie. Happy Feet, Moulin Rouge. Uh, you know, iconic Australian movies. Mad Max. Mad Max. I don't. It's not quite in the top 10, but I, I'm, I know it's a very popular movie. Um, so, yes. Uh, even technically Mad Max Fury Road, I thought was technically an Australian movie, but maybe not. But we're going to cover a movie that's not even ever considered in the top 10 Australian movies yeah. of all time. It's a, it's a movie released the same year, actually, as Bon Cop, Bad Cop. It's a movie called Boytown. And this is definitely a movie I feel that a lot of Australians have forgotten ever was a thing. And it's just a movie that I just absolutely love. I remember seeing this in the movies and just laughing so hard at it. And it's just, it's it's really, you're either going to love this movie, Colin, or you're going to not like this movie and get it and think it's just ridiculously stupid. Because it's basically about uh, a boy band from the 80s who get back together again in like the mid-2000s. In like the, They're all in like their mid-40s and basically try to revive their music career. And when it kind of doesn't work one way, they have to do another way. And it's just, it's fucking ridiculous, but it's hilarious. Um, And it's got some great, like, really good Australian comedians in it. So um, I don't think you've ever seen Kath and Kim, but uh, sort of uh, one of the the main actors in Kath and Kim, Glenn Robbins, is in this. And he was involved in, you mentioned to me the other day about Fast Forward, an Australian sketch comedy show Mm -hmm. from the 90s. He was heavily involved in that scene. Because uh, sort of the the women in that went on to make Kath and Kim. So there's again, as I said before, there's a lot of connections in Australian movies. You you know all the same people basically because they use them all the time. But um, he's in a, a guy called Mick Malloy, who's sort of the other main guy. He's I grew up with him as sort of a very uh, he was a famous radio host and had you know you, you would have heard of Hamish and Andy, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the Hamish and Andy in the '90s in Australia was this radio show called um, Martin Malloy. And he was one half of that. And, you know, a lot of 
what I like to say is an influence of me in my radio career has been on some of the stuff he did. So he's a very funny man. you got a bunch of other people who are just in this great. It's actually got um, in it too... Uh, Sally Phillips, is that her name? She was uh, in Bridget Jones' Diary. She's the one who swears a lot in Bridget oh, Jones' yeah. Diary. Uh, come the fuck on, Bridget. Um, yep. She's in this movie. And also Lockie Hume, who you might know him. He has been in some big things. He's a very esteemed Australian actor who has been involved in some Americans. I'm looking here. He was in the Matrix movies. Um, he was in the Matrix movies. <laughs> That's basically the- <laughs> I have seen the Matrix movies. That helps. <laughs> he was in the third... Cro- oh, no, sorry, not the third. He was in the Crocodile Hunter movie. I thought that was um, Crocodile Dundee number three, but no. But um, more of a TV director, but he... A TV actor, but he's, you know, very highly award-winning actor. But anyway, the point is, this movie's great. The soundtrack, I just... Every time I watch this movie, I listen to the soundtrack to death because it's just so bad. It's good. And again, I just... I don't know how you're going to feel about this movie because it is really just a, a big mockumentary sort of parody on boy bands and just it's just fucking brilliant it's so good i hope you like this movie i really do mallory loves uh, it so i, and I, I yeah. know a canadian can love this movie she the first time she watched it i think like i started watching it with her and it was late at night i'm like well, i'm gonna go to work tomorrow i'm gonna go to bed so she came to bed so like, oh my god i love that movie can we watch it again tomorrow <laughs> and i think we did i think just showing how far back we've been talking about doing canada versus australia month uh, it was when you were and Mallory were here in Winnipeg um, was when I grabbed this movie off you and I transferred off the hard drive. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to eventually do that Australia-Canada thing. So let me get – so it's been sitting on there for a year and a half. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but uh, that's how long goes back at least me hearing about this. And uh, I, I am kind of excited because you've told me that there are differing opinions on this, that it, it's either you're going to love it or you're going to think it's the stupidest thing ever. And um, – I, is this actually like a you know a mockumentary like Spinal Tap style? No, not really. It's it's no, it's not definitely not done in that style. But um, yeah, I think you know it's it's really one of those divisive opinions because like this is never brought when you talk about the cinema of Australia. This is something that is never even mm-hmm. mentioned. You legitimately have to say to someone about it, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that movie." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and like I think my dad think it was terrible and. You know, it just it didn't do well in Australia. It kind of just came and went within like two weeks, as a lot of Australian movies do. I'm sure it's the same in, in Canada. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those little blips that people don't even remember. <laughs> so, whereas when the one we talk about the following Australian movie will be the complete opposite. So, yeah. Well, we're gonna make you remember because you have to watch it next week. If you listen to this, <laughs> and you gotta watch singing. it. Sing along yeah. with the songs. <laughs> uh, we'll do a musical episode. That's what we'll do. But uh, that's coming next week, and uh, then we'll. Let- Two more, one more Canadian, one more Australian is we're going to wrap up Canada, Australia month. Uh, other than that, we've got Survivor stuff going on finally. Oh, isn't it great to have Survivor back? Uh, multiple versions of Survivor on the air. I'm sure we're going to talk about some of it. Total Drama Island as well, still continuing on, uh, getting more and more people listening to that now and uh, getting more more people watching it, uh, including myself, as I never saw it before, but it's been fun getting introduced to that. Uh, so lots more content to come. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe wherever you can find us. Um, we don't know where we are anymore. You you tell us. Uh, if you find us, leave us a review and tell us where you found us so we know where to recommend it in the future. Uh, my name is Colin, and vive la Quebec Lib. Oh, so violent. And my name is Ben. One of those French names I always screw up. 
Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.